This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt, yeah, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we uh, give you the solutions, the tools, the information you need. Sure, we'll get to some news, but not all the information you get is necessary. Some of it, you don't even know what to do with it. Like, for example, you may have heard that uh, the Donster has, has taken on the Pope. I came in like a Of all the people on earth you may not want to go head-to-head with, it's the Pope. Somehow Donald found the Pope. He actually said that maybe I'm not a good Christian or something. It's unbelievable, which is really not a nice thing to say. So it's a response from Donald Trump. If and when the Vatican is attacked by ISIS, which, as everyone knows, is ISIS's ultimate trophy, I can promise you that the Pope would have only wished and prayed that Donald Trump would have been president. There you go. Um, I would have given you the Pope, but it was in Italian or Spanish or Latin or whatever. But the Pope actually didn't mention Donald, did he? He was just mentioning the guy building a wall. He was answering a question. Someone asked him about Donald Trump. Okay. Oh, they specifically said Donald Trump. He was on his airplane. He goes and meets with the media in the back of the plane. and. And so he's answering a question, and he said that he doesn't think anyone who builds a wall mm-hmm. is showing, like, Christian values or is a Christian or whatever his quote was. But that's basically it. Yeah, he doesn't think a, yeah. it's a Christian thing to build a wall. Yeah. And then uh, Donald reacted like, that's not – you don't say that. Yeah. And then this story about ISIS and the Vatican – I didn't know that I didn't know that the Vatican was the crown jewel of the ISIS, you know, goal. I mean, that's not I didn't know that was their their biggest win. Apparently that's what it is. It's interesting. Not sure. Play uh clip 7. This is Trump from the town hall meetings last night where he again asked about the situation with the Pope. Oh, the Pope is a wonderful guy. I don't like fighting with the Pope, actually. Uh, I I don't think this is a fight. I think he said something much softer than was originally reported by the media. I think that he heard one side of the story, which is probably by the Mexican government. So he backs off a little bit. Well, and apparently what the Pope actually released, the the history behind it and everything behind it was a lot softer than he's just not a Christian. There was more to it, they say, like a lot more. That was really kinder. And even, I guess, Donald's response in the full context, than, other than what he just says, there's, it's, it, wasn't, it didn't look as horrible as it's become. You just, you just don't want to take on the Pope. Oh, by the way, I realize ISIS, their, their big goal is Israel, yeah. not the Vatican. Well, right? I mean, the number one thing they'd love to knock off would be Israel. They're trying to cause an apocalyptic sort of end story that they have. Yeah. And they want this fight in a specific area, and that's kind of their their yeah. end goal, I guess. Sure. But yeah, taking out Israel along the way would be great. Oh, I mean, yeah. Um, did you hear any of the other presidential candidates discussing this? I, I Yeah, I did. In fact, uh, uh, Bush. 
Jeb, exclamation point. Clip six. I always get in trouble when the Pope says things because I'm a, I'm a Catholic. Uh, I'm informed by my faith, and he is an inspirational leader of, of my church. But I don't question people's Christianity. I think that's a relationship they have with their, with their Lord and Savior and themselves. So I just don't think it's appropriate to question Donald Trump's faith. Uh, he knows what his faith is, and he has a, if he has a relationship with the Lord, fantastic. If he doesn't, it's none of my business. Jeb backing Trump. Or just choosing to stay out of it, which is what most of the candidates did. <laughs> well, and again, that's interesting because Jeb is uh, uh, is a devout Catholic, which you know some of them aren't, so that might be easier for them to jump in and not feel pressure. But Jeb's pushing Ted, back a little bit on Ted the... Cruz says this is between Trump and the Pope. I'm not getting involved. <laughs> and then he backed away. He's like, no, yeah. yeah, it's like you don't want to get between two dogs in a fight. John Kasich, clip five. Well, first of all, I'm pro Pope. Okay, put me down in the pro pope column. <laughs> pro pope. And look, this is a guy who said when somebody asked him about somebody's behavior that wasn't consistent with what they thought the scripture was, he said, "Who am I to judge?" I mean, this man has brought more sense of hope and more about the do's in life than the don'ts. I mean, when you think about pro pope. Pro pope. Uh I love. Did you see the hug scenario with Kasich? No. Holy cow. Oh, 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 with the, the young with that man. guy. Yes. Okay, everything else aside, politics aside, like Kasich probably won't win. I don't know. But it's a real long shot. It is. But he's he's changing lives. Like these you don't realize these people are changing lives. They have hundreds, thousands of people that show up that revere him. So this guy all he traveled from Georgia to South Carolina to get a hug. He, he, you, you, hear, was, you hear his story. It's it's really quite brutal in the sense that he had death in his yeah, family, people losing his, jobs, all sorts uh, of negativity. He wanted a hug. Well, and honestly, when you watch it, you think that's that's the kind of president I want that just just cares that he just cares. It was cool. Kasich won a thousand points in my head last night. Well, I don't know when it, whatever that was yesterday. Yeah, but. Um, <laughs> Some of these people, though, like, and then he's like, I think Anderson Cooper says, welcome. And he's like, did I have a choice? Thanks for being here. Did I have a choice? I, well, yeah, you could have chosen not to. Um, I don't know. It's I really like these town hall forums for the GOP side because it it gets rid of a lot of the mud, I think. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean a, lot at least, the, a lot of grandstanding. Yeah. And you can of, yeah. ask more and find out more. Did Did you listen to the Trump version of the town Part, hall? Parts of it. Did he get more detail? I didn't, I didn't the, listen to all of it. Did he get into details of how he would do stuff? Nothing. I mean, not. I mean, I don't know if that was really questions that were asked of him because it starts out with the Pope and then it ended yeah. up in some other areas. And but, then it ended up, does he eat fast food? Yeah. They always toss in these kind of goofball questions. It's like, and I think are, his answer, did you hear his answer? No. It was like fish. Yeah. Yeah. When I like they say, so what do you order at a McDonald's when you're at a McDonald's? What would you order? And I think he said fish delight. Huh. Well, whatever their fish sandwich is called, yeah. It's a fillet of fish. There you go. Which you should know if you go to McDonald's. I do know he eats a he eats pizza with a fork, and that ticks off a lot of New yeah. Yorkers. Does he? Yeah. Well, he's yeah. just proper. You need to pick it up, fold it in half, and eat it. That's how you eat pizza there. It it is interesting though, as because I listened to Donald answer some questions last night, and I realized he's he's kind of a crazy ranter, where. 
he just keeps talking, and you'll hear it circular. So yeah. when he when he doesn't know what to say next, he'll usually go back to what he had already said, and then he'll reboot, and then that kind of speeds him up again. And then he'll go down this one – he'll always take like a right turn and go really to this weird point that will tie back to what he was saying, you know, two minutes earlier. It's crazy. I heard but some- it actually makes sense if you do it – listen to him long enough. You're like, well- oh, okay. Okay. As you as I try to edit sound because I, I I have to try to shorten up some of these clips that we play, and Trump repeats himself quite a bit. Yeah. And so it's like okay, he said it once. Let's take out the four other times he's going to say that here, so yeah. we can get to the rest of the clip before we're listening to something for five minutes for <laughs> little content. And so you trim it up a little bit, but as you listen, what he tends to repeat is what he thinks is the most important point. Right. So he just keeps saying it to you, and you keep hearing that same thing, and then he moves on to the next point, mm-hmm. and he kind of does that in a regimented sort of way. So it's either this sort of scatterbrained, or yeah. or a, maybe it's a sales technique. I it don't know. Be. He just keeps making him hear it. Hear it. Do you hear but it? It also Do could be, it? like you said, maybe he's thinking in his head where to go next mm-hmm. and just say the same thing again and keep moving. But it's an effective tool because yeah. people hear the same thing. I think he's thinking out loud. A lot of times I think that's— He's doing it with no notes. It's amazing. I mean, it really is. And, and now, his, his response to the Pope where he was talking about ISIS and, and all that, that was written down. Yeah. I think there might, might yeah, have yeah. been some sort of press-type yeah. release, but he was reading that. But the vast majority, when you see him talk, it's top of mind. He's just, mm-hmm. just off Which I think head. is the difference between uh, – like, I think Cruz is probably a better communicator. Like, as far as saying what he is thinking and clear, clearly getting it, I think Rubio is too. I think uh, Jeb struggles – Kind of in the impromptu. Yeah. He's just, and by the way, he talked about how he's an introvert. I thought that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. He just – he's an introvert. It's a wrong job. But he took a huge jab at Trump because he says the benefit of being an introvert is you listen. Yeah. And that way you're informed before you talk. Instead of being a blowhard – these are his exact words. Instead of being a blowhard, <laughs> I like to listen before I talk. Boom. Little jab. Yeah. Little jab. Uh, and then you heard um, – you heard that uh, the president is not going to Scalia's funeral. Yes. I reported that yesterday. Oh, you did? There, yeah, you w- did. there was no explanation as to why. And apparently the explanation, which hasn't come, hmm. is that uh, Vice President Biden knew, knew Scalia well. Okay. And he's going to the funeral. So apparently you can't have the president or the vice president at the funeral together. I don't know. But for some reason, it's like, no, we're going to send him for the, from the administration because he knew him really well. It just seems like – The president should be there. I think he totally should be there. Why would you not go to the justice you're going to be yeah. replacing? And then Biden made some interesting comments about the replacement. Did you hear about that? They're looking for – he thinks the president's going to send up a centrist juror, somebody that's very centrist, right in the middle, like a suitor, um, someone in the middle. That that the Republicans could easily like and have liked and might may have liked before, but they'll like the they'll like this person. He only needs fifteen. There will be some that will That's never right. say yes. That's no, right. Whatever is put up, they'll say no. But there's some guys. There's some representatives and Republicans yeah. in the middle that will okay. I can I can buy this person. This that they'll stick to what yeah. they're saying and they won't change once they begin into. Which the is what we were Supreme saying Court. when we started this whole thing. That if the president just puts up somebody that is for the entire nation. Not skewed to one side or the other. That's a very presidential thing to do. Yeah. Then it, it's on the it's on the Congress and the Senate to see how that goes. 
if they're going to then pass a centrist. He says he wants to try to not divide the country, and yeah. so you have to put up someone that everyone can uh, agree on. And what will be interesting is if Hillary Clinton happens to win, it it won't be a centrist. No, because she'll have a whole term. She doesn't right. have to worry about she's that. Got, yeah. She, she's ready for the fight. Boy, the, the rolling of the dice. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Um, anyway, we're, we've got a great topic coming up. Our first guest is Dr. Lee Goldman, who is the dean of the medical school at Columbia University. And uh, he's going to be talking to us about too much of a good thing, how many of our today problems today with like our health come from our genes, like, I mean, not genes. That, that's not, it comes from our evolution. For example, we were born and our bodies were designed to consume as many calories as possible and not lose weight. Our bodies were designed to not lose cal, not lose weight, gain weight if you can. Mm-hmm. That was your. I mean, think of that's how man has survived is by maintaining their weight. And now we face this obesity crisis. So this very basic evolutionary trait that we have is now killing us. And he's going to talk about four different survival traits that we've all had through evolution that are now today killing us. Even anxiety, uh, our love of salt is a very natural trait to keep you alive. Anyway, interesting stuff. Uh, And we'll be talking about his new book, Too Much of a Good Thing. So stick with us on that. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry. Find out what's going on around the rest of the world. Thanks, Matt. Donald Trump's double-digit lead in South Carolina has dwindled to a close race. Trump now leads Ted Cruz with only five points in South Carolina, according to an NBC Wall Street Journal poll released on today, down from 16 points a month ago. Trump gets support from 28% of likely Republican primary voters in the state, while Ted Cruz gets 23%, followed by Marco Rubio at 15 and Jeb Bush at 13. Real clear politics, which average polls reflects a similar narrow lead on Friday, with Trump at 28 and Cruz closing to within 20 or at 23 percent, up 20 points from last month. So the weekend should be interesting. Mm. Hillary Clinton has reportedly landed endorsements from 87 more superdelegates to the Democratic National Convention despite losing to Bernie Sanders in New Hampshire primary. Sanders has picked up just 11 superdelegate endorsements. Sanders maintains a 36-32 lead among delegates won in primaries and caucuses after Iowa and New Hampshire. However, once superdelegates are included in the totals, Clinton leads 481 to 55, according to the AP. If the superdelegates who can change their mind continue to support Clinton, Sanders would have to win the remaining primaries in a landslide just to keep pace. Wow, though. What happens when Bernie wins the the regular delegate vote and she wins by superdelegate? That will be a major problem in the Democratic Party. Yes. <laughs> It'd be kind of fun to see what happens there. It'd be like a brokered convention. Exactly. If you go in with someone with the lead and somebody else comes out winning. This is crazy. Be fun. A new, uh, Fox News poll finds a pretty big majority wants President Obama and the Senate to act immediately on filling the vacancy on the Supreme Court left by Antonin Scalia's death. 42% of those polled yesterday uh, said they're likely to vote for a Democrat as opposed to 39% for Republicans. That gets you an idea who they're right. talking to. And uh, But a whopping 62% said that the president and the Senate should act now. Only 34% believe that Obama shouldn't get to nominate anyone for a lifetime appointment this late in his second and final term. On the question of which candidates would do a better job of choosing a Supreme Court nomination, Hillary Clinton beats out Bernie Sanders 47-40. to 40. Donald Trump beats out Ted Cruz. They're actually, they're both tied at 26. 
which when asked which candidates would they would most dread watching on TV for four years as a president, <laughs> Trump easily wins forty percent, followed by Clinton with thirty one percent. Wow. Who would I hate to watch on TV for four years? Uh. <laughs> it's a weird way to vote. The Scalia family, according to Politico, uh, p- people close to the family said that President Obama made the right choice in skipping the late Supreme mm. Court justice's funeral this Saturday. The president will instead go to the Supreme Court on Friday to pay his respects to Scalia, who will lie in repose. So he's there, yeah. in there today. Uh, kind of the viewing, I guess you would say. Vice President Joe Biden and his wife will attend the funeral on behalf of the White House. So they're happy he's not going. I mean, the family's they, they okay They made with the it. right decision. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know if that's the rule. I, I know they're not – they try not to keep having the same place at the same time. Yeah, I don't but know. I've, I've seen the vice president and the president yeah, together at state funerals. Sure. So I don't know if, how that – if that's There's really the There's something more going on. It's interesting. Hmm. Um, in Hillsdale, New Jersey, it's not rain and sleet the mail carriers have to worry about. It's wild turkeys. Oh, boy. Earlier this week, the postmaster had to call 911 to alert officers that a mailman was stuck inside his vehicle surrounded by a gang of turkeys. It's called, <laughs> isn't it called like a gaggle? I think it's a gaggle. A gaggle of, of turkeys. A, yeah. It's a tangle of turkeys. You're not going to believe this, but I got a carrier that's being attacked by wild turkeys and won't let him deliver the mail, he said to the dispatcher. This has been going on. It's crazy. They're actually attacking, biting. They chase the trucks, everything. A police officer told CBS New York he turned his sirens on to scare the birds away, and the carrier was concerned that once we left, they were going to come back after him. Sure. As the days become longer during the late winter, some turkeys start to exhibit, quote, crazy Jake-like behavior. Hmm. As their hormones start to flow, teenage males or Jakes that are habituated to people get a little bit aggressive. No, do you know, I have the same problem with my children. Those hormones, those teenage hormones kick Just in. Just call it Crazy Jake. And I have a Jake, and his, he's crazy. Hormones, oh man, nothing worse than hormonal male teenage turkeys. You know what I mean? It'll kill you, folks. Hey, we're going to take a break and uh, go get uh, Dr. Lee Goldman on the phone. Um, we're going to be talking to him about uh, his book, Too Much of a Good Thing, how four key survival traits that, you know, have evolved with us now may be killing us. They may be the cause of being overweight, of your love of salt. How about uh, your anxiety and depression? These are some of the traits we're going to be getting into with Dr. Lee Goldman. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, hoping to help you live a lot longer. We'll be right back. I'm attorney Chris Dexter from Dexter Law. Some people believe that they only need a lawyer when they're in trouble. At Dexter Law, we provide services for life's challenges and opportunities, such as adopting a child or starting a business. We provide a variety of legal services and are passionate about supporting Cougar Sports on BYU TV. Learn more at DexterLaw.com and Go Cougars! Lately, I've been challenging myself, tackling some of the topics I've thought about for a long time and never really confronted. Are you up for that? Industry veteran Ron Simpson gives us a new perspective about the recording process for quality music. In a real show, there's a ton of eye candy. The performers are singing, sometimes up to eight-part harmony, while at the same time dancing flat out. But when it's album time, all that is stripped away, and all you've got is the sound. Tune in 8 p.m. Eastern to the Tantara Hour. 
Hi, Dave McCann here. BYU football, basketball, Olympic sports. BYU TV covers it all. 125 sporting events per year. Put your support behind BYU sports and increase your brand awareness. Call or email to learn about sponsorship opportunities today. Welcome to the Wheatley Minute, featuring ideas that sustain core institutions. Presented by the Wheatley Institution at BYU. Here is Wheatley lecturer Brad Oates. There's not one of us that can't, you know, fall. And I have seen this multiple times in my life uh, from those around great people who you would not expect. And that's why I actually run a little bit scared. It's very similar to, to playing football. I always worried from week to week, you know, was I good enough to major up to the guy across the line? And I spent more time probably watching films of myself because I knew that if I didn't do everything I could, I'd get beat. And so to a certain extent, I think when it comes to ethics, we have to run a little scared. To listen to the full lecture or to learn more about the work of the Wheatley Institution, go to wheatley.byu.edu. And listen to the Wheatley Forum addresses Wednesdays at 6 a.m. Eastern here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, throughout time, our genetic makeup has been programmed to help us survive the world around us. But that may no longer be the case. In fact, the very traits that kept our forefathers alive may actually be killing us today. Diseases like obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, mental illness, heart disease, and stroke are um, increasingly affecting more and more people. Today, Dr. Lee Goldman, cardiologist and dean of the medical school at Columbia University, joins us to talk about his book, Too Much of a Good Thing, How Four Key Survival Traits Are Now Killing Us. Uh, Dr. Lee Goldman, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Great to have you. I love this topic of um, because forever we've we just kind of looked at people that were having some of these medical issues because so many of them seem like lifestyle oriented. We just see them maybe as lazy, as weak. But one of the arguments you're making in your book is that men, many of these diseases are caused by just our traits, our survival traits. So exactly, we are hardwired, if you will, with the same DNA, the same genes that our ancestors had in the Paleolithic era, a time when life was very different than now. Right. There was in short supply. Salt was uh, more precious than gold. Murder was one of the leading causes of death. <laughs> and uh, people bled to death, especially women after childbirth. And so our ancestors had to have genes that protected them from those things. Uh, the good news is that now, for most of us, food is plentiful. Salt is in abundance. Uh, murder rates are actually, surprisingly to many people, at an all-time low. And uh, we rarely bleed to death. Right. So those challenges are no longer the key issues for our survival. But they are they're, – they're still part of our – our makeup, right? So we, so we all of a sudden we have this desire, I guess, to to not. I mean, our body, not a desire, but our body doesn't want to lose weight, right? So our, you know, those are no longer the things that kill us, at least in uh, you know the Western world. But our bodies still have genes that are programmed uh, like they were in the old days. Right. So uh, when food is available, we're genetically predisposed to gorge, eat as much as we can. 
and store the excess as fat. Uh, that was great if uh, tomorrow there may be uh, no food for us, but now that food is, is plentiful, uh, we gain weight. And now 38% of Americans are frankly obese. That means they're more than 30% overweight. Another third are overweight. And uh, our bodies are not built to help us lose weight. In fact, if you try to lose weight, two things happen. One is you get hungrier. And secondly, your metabolism slows down so you burn fewer <laughs> calories. These are great traits for the Paleolithic era. They're terrible traits for someone who's trying to lose weight in modern America. Right. And, and so talk about the, the kind of the evolutionary trait side of this. You're not going to train. You're not going to create uh, or de- eliminate that trait of evolution for what? 20, 30, 40, 50,000 years or something? What is the number? What does it take to change evolutionary traits? So these traits have built up in our ancestors over probably 10,000 generations, roughly speaking. Uh, They came on slowly, and if they're going to go away, they go away slowly. But see, each of us has some number of random differences in our genes compared with our parents. Hmm. We've got about 6 billion pieces of DNA information, and each of us has about 40 to 60 of those that differ from our parents. That just happens by random, sort of typographical errors in our DNA. Right. If those typographical errors are good, they spread to our children who outsurvive other people's children and eventually may spread to much of the population. But that only happens if those genetic mutations, if you will, benefit us in terms of survival. The things that are killing us now aren't killing us before we have kids who True. have kids. That's right. So they'll never go away, most likely. Oh, they'll be wow. Here forever. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that is – that's scary. So <laughs> so we've got, we've got a genetic, I guess, predisposition – uh, or traits, survival traits that could kill us or, or actual, or could save us if the conditions were there. But in reality, they're actually beating us up. And yet our body is going to fight against that. Our body doesn't want to lose weight. So how do you overcome? Well, there, there really are three basic approaches to this. Um, one is people voluntarily change their behaviors. Uh, we eat less. In terms of calories, we consume less salt, we exercise more, we meditate, etc. Um, those are certainly nice traits, and some of us have them, but many of us don't. Uh, if those sorts of behavior changes were uniformly successful, 38% of us wouldn't be obese. Mm. Um, one third of us wouldn't have high blood pressure because we consume too much salt. Uh, 15 to 20% of us wouldn't have depression and anxiety. And stroke and heart attack wouldn't be the leading causes of death. So we already have evidence that behavior change is really difficult. And since we're fighting our genes, it doesn't mean that we're morally weak. It means it's just really, really, really hard. Yeah. So I argue that behavior change is a wonderful personal virtue, but unlikely to be routinely successful across the entire population. Hmm. Second is you know, regulation. Uh, we see some of that in terms of trying to limit the size of sugar-sweetened beverages, uh, put calorie counts on uh, food, uh, 
limits salt, as has been done in processed foods in Britain. Those things are moderately successful, uh, just as we uh, use smoking bans to reduce smoking rates. Uh, but it's not something that the U.S. naturally uh, tends to endorse. We're the land of the free. Right. So we don't tend to like regulation. Uh, places like Britain uh, are more likely to embark on those sorts of changes. So I argue, as much as this may seem uh, sort of unpopular, that a lot of this is going to come down to, to modern science, finding ways to neutralize some of these genes that we no longer need. And we have some interesting examples of these. There's a gene that is needed to help form LDL cholesterol, the bad cholesterol that predisposes uh, toward atherosclerosis, heart disease, and stroke. In a study in Dallas, uh, they happened to find one woman who was missing both of the copies of this gene that's needed to help make LDL. Uh, her LDL level was 14. Uh, no one had ever seen someone with an LDL level of mm. 14 in America before. She's perfectly healthy. So there's sort of proof of principle here that we all have a number of genes that we don't need anymore. And part of the solution, I argue, is finding ways uh, to neutralize those genes. Now, some people talk about, can we edit our genomes? I'm less enthusiastic about that. But I think that modern science will find ways increasingly to neutralize genes we no longer need, and that will help us uh, offset some of these uh, inherited hmm. traits from the Paleolithic era. Interesting. So just using modern science, pharmaceuticals, or genetic, I guess, testing, and and uh, I guess some gene- or some pharmaceutical intervention to then mitigate the problem. Right. Now, I'm not an apologist for the pharmaceutical industry, please right. understand. But what I am saying is that there may be a variety of ways that we can, they said, neutralize the genes we no longer need. Yeah. Uh, you know, in some fancy science fiction world, you could say, well, why don't we edit those genes out of uh, uh, our bodies? Uh, I'm less enthusiastic yeah. about that. I think that'd be extremely difficult and raise a whole bunch of other issues. But I think that we, as we identify genes we no longer need, uh, we can come up with ways to, as I said, to neutralize their effects. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Let's take a break. Uh, We're speaking with Dr. Lee Goldman, uh, who is a cardiologist, dean of the medical school at Columbia University, author of the book, Too Much of a Good Thing, How Four Key Survival Traits Are Now Killing Us. And uh, let's come back and, and talk more about some of these traits. For example, this this like almost insatiable love and need of salt uh, has many reaching for a bag of chips or more fries um, when uh, when really you know our bodies just needed salt million years ago to be able to survive they still do but uh, now we have a pretty healthy dose of salt in our lives we'll continue the discussion folks too much of a good thing stick with us this is the Matt Townsend show. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, on the line with Dr. Lee Goldman, who is the dean of the uh, medical school at Columbia University, also a world-renowned cardiologist 
and author of the new book, Too Much of a Good Thing, How Four Key Survival Traits Are Now Killing Us. And uh, he's been teaching us, man, uh, millions of years of evolution in our uh, system, maybe the cause of many of today's problems, Um, you know, everything from uh, overweight obesity to heart cardiovascular issues to stroke to anxiety and depression, you know, these are things that we were actually wired to uh, bring to the ball game. Dr. Lee Goldman, thank you again for being with us. My pleasure to be here. Talk about, uh, talk about, for example, one of our historic survival traits has been this, um, this, this love, this need of salt and water. And I mean, that makes sense, right? Our bodies need salt and water to stay balanced chemically. Um, but, we, I guess, are consuming too much salt today. That's, I guess, why our body craves the salt today? Yes, exactly. So back in the Paleolithic era, uh, one of our best survival advantages is our endurance. Humans aren't the fastest runners, but we can run and walk the farthest. Hmm. Uh, And the reason is pretty simple, and it's exemplified by the cheetah. The cheetah, if you put on a treadmill, will sprint for about a mile and a half, and then its temperature will go up to 107 degrees, it'll lie down on the treadmill and roll off. The reason is it can't sweat. Because hmm. it can't sweat, its temperature goes up when it exercises until it literally can't go any further. We are the best animal in the world at sweating, and that gives us the ability to dissipate heat and to keep on exercising. To dissipate heat and sweat, we have to have enough salt and water in our bodies, and we have to, have to be able to replace that salt and water as we sweat. Uh, humans have always craved salt. Uh, in fact, uh, salt for much of uh, human history was more valuable than gold. Even the word salary comes from the word salt because Roman soldiers are often paid in salt. Hmm. We crave salt. We love the taste in our tongue and our bodies need it. Uh, but salt also tends to raise our blood pressure. And in America now, one-third of adults have high blood pressure and that can be linked directly to their intake of salt. There you have it. <laughs> so, because it's true, like in the hospital, they might give you uh, a saline solution just to be able to enter, introduce other drugs into your system, or they might give you even, I guess, sugar, lactated ringer, or some yeah. other dextrose, or some other, uh, you know, some other fluid into your system, and it's usually going to be, I guess, a sugar or a salt or additive. Salt, yes. Yeah. Is so then all of a sudden that increases our blood pressure issues, our heart issues. There's another uh, genetic trait which is just uh, what you've now linked, um, uh, at least in theory, and I'm sure in reality to our uh, to our mental health, yeah. anxiety. So in the as best as we can tell from the archaeologic remains of uh, humans uh, dating back to the Stone Age. Back in that year, about a third of humans uh, died violently, uh, most commonly uh, thought to be killed by other humans. The most common injury was a dent in the left side of the skull thought to be related to some other right-handed person smashing across the head. Uh, when humans began to settle down in the Neolithic era about 10,000 years ago and farm and raise animals, uh, the skeletal remains suggest that the violent death rate went up to about 25%, thought to be because there's now more to fight over. Hmm. Uh, We think of today as a time when we're afraid of uh, violence and murder and uh, those things, but this is actually 
the safest time, as best as we can tell, in human history. Fewer people die from murder, violence, and war than ever in human history. Uh, in fact, in America now, far more people commit suicide each year than get killed by murder and war put together. Hmm. Well, we were built to be afraid, afraid of other humans, afraid of wild animals, afraid of falling off cliffs. And uh, you know, that's now the reason why many people have uh, anxiety and, and, and even panic attacks. But it's interestingly, we're afraid of the wrong things. So if you look at a little child, the child will naturally be afraid of snakes and spiders. Right. You know, no kids get killed by snakes and spiders right. anymore. They're not afraid of cars. They're right. not afraid of guns. Those are the two leading causes of death in children. So these are hardwired traits that have nothing to do with the things that we actually should be afraid of today. Those fears, as I said, contribute to anxiety and uh, panic attacks. There's another part to this as well, which is when you're faced with uh, a foe, we talk about fight or flight, there's a third option if you're not fast enough to run away or strong enough to fight, and that's to cower and to be submissive and hope the foe doesn't kill you. Hmm. Uh, that submissiveness is sort of the beginning of depression. It's a good way to avoid getting killed. It's a good temporary uh, adaptation, uh, but if it, you don't bounce back, that's what we now call depression. And so many uh, uh, evolutionary psychiatrists believe that the modern depression that we see is really a reflection of that submissiveness, uh, which is an alternative to fight or flight, and when people don't bounce back. Hmm. And depression and anxiety today in modern America are among the leading causes of disability. As I said before, now more Americans, very sadly, uh, commit suicide. Uh, that are killed by murder and war together. And it's uh, what what I'm hearing is these these what we would say, I guess, today these disorders, these diseases, uh, obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, mental illness. They also they they seem to be our weaknesses today, and the way we see them in our culture. Th- these are all weaknesses. But what you're explaining um, is almost more that they're coming from a, a genetic strength. Yes. So exactly. I love exactly. that because it's, it seems like a healthier way to see it. We're not all just a bunch of misfits, broken no, exactly people. Exactly right. This is, and I think this is a very important message for all of us as we think about ourselves, if we have any of these uh, afflictions, that we think about other people. Uh, this is not about self-blame. This is not about looking at other people as though they're somehow morally weak or inferior. These are the way we're built. Right. And we can, to a certain extent, offset them. And some of us are luckier than others in terms of how strong some of these genetic traits are. But uh, I'm really trying to get us away from uh, uh, what I'll call uh, uh, moral judgment of ourselves or each other to understanding better how this is, this is the way we're built. Do, do you see that culturally? Because um, I guess we're just barely opening up to these ideas <laughs> as being strengths, right? But culturally... We we might we we don't seem to handle it well like you like you brought up. There's three options: voluntarily change, which will happen with maybe a third of uh, of our. Is that what you're saying? Basically, a third will be able to just choose to change their behavior. Yes, yeah, so, I mean again, some people are more successful at this yeah. than others. 
Regulation um, is the other one, which would be, I guess, we start creating better guidelines, maybe more government-pushed regulation. Yeah, 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 this, is, this is intrusiveness into things that people often think are you know, things that you know, government shouldn't tell us what to do. Um, and, but in places where they've done it, they tend to be at least modestly successful. Hmm. And, and then, too, maybe just the acceptance of allowing science to help bridge the gap. And that's, again, because, as we discussed earlier, and as you pointed out so nicely, we're, our genes aren't going to evolve out of this. Right. This is not going away. <laughs> and I mean, and, and yet I, I really love the idea that it's a strength. Because, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, I, I know family members that have heart issues, and, um, you know, a lot of times people might make it about character, like just... Don't eat salt. Just pull yourself up and don't eat salt. And but two, and again, we're not determined either. You know, I don't believe in determinism per se, but it's you're definitely going to be influenced by this these genes. Yeah, and and it's hard. Yeah. Uh, uh, What we see interestingly here in in America is that people who are relatively more affluent sometimes have the uh, the wherewithal to do somewhat better with some of these issues. Uh, but in most parts of the world today, especially the developing world, these problems are uh, often seen uh, most in uh, the more affluent, mm. where people now have increasing access uh, you know, to food and salt and to a leisure lifestyle. Uh, so in many parts of the world, you know, the people who are most afflicted with these things are in fact the more uh, the more well to do. Is there um, like I have a relative that too is a cardiologist and uh, retired, um, but the healthiest eater I've ever seen, the healthiest, I mean, exercises two hours a day, loves mm-hmm. life, is you know mentally engaged, does a lot of great stuff, and yet um, went in for some random um, exam that ended up finding out that he needed his. Uh, he was, I think he was having an appendicitis. He, they found um, stones in his gall. Stones were having a problem. But then he also found plaque in his arteries. Yeah. And as a cardiologist, that was like the most offensive thing, <laughs> especially after eating, you know, after eating seeds and just grains his entire life. So there, there is a point, too, where it's just you are what you are. It's just – So, yes. So clearly better habits uh, – reduce the risks of some of these things, uh, but we see people who uh, have uh, all the right habits, if you will, uh, but who still, on a genetic basis, uh, develop atherosclerosis and heart disease and stroke. Hmm. Uh, you can do something. I'm not saying we can't. We, certainly, we can reduce those risks substantially with a better diet, better exercise, etc. cetera, uh, but this is built into our genes. And uh, if all of us had that LDL of 14 that I described before, right. then we may never have heart attacks. But most of us don't have LDLs like that, even if we're vegetarians. Hmm. I mean, it, does, it is what it is. And I guess, but studying the person with the LDL of 14, all of a sudden, and science might be able to help us replicate it. Exactly. Yeah, um, and, and move us there. Exactly. And again, I look at that also sort of as a proof of principle, because it's, something that is uh, so 
clearly associated with uh, heart disease uh, can be uh, potentially neutralized so dramatically, uh, it, as a proof of principle, indicates that we should ultimately be able to find uh, yeah. that series of genes that cause high blood pressure and uh, know which targeted therapy will be best in, in each of us to bring blood pressure down and to offset that genetic tendency. I have ultimately, so... someday the same thing will hopefully be true for anxiety and depression. Yeah. No, totally. And, and I mean, again, we had some researchers on talking about anxiety and depression and how they don't even know what it is. I mean, they, they know what it is, but they don't know what causes it right. exactly. And, I, and yet... And part, right. And they, one of the reasons here is I think as we see with obesity and uh, high blood pressure, uh, these are not single genes. Mm-hmm. Now, we didn't all get here because everybody's ancestor had exactly one mutation that did this. Every time a beneficial mutation arose anywhere in the world that tended to help you store more food as fat, tended to help you hold on to your salt, it was beneficial. And across the world, there were multiple, multiple, multiple different mutations in different parts of the world. And ultimately, most of us have many of those those genes. Uh, It's not just one single event. It's multiple events over 10,000 generations. And what that means is there is no single magic bullet, Mm. the anxiety gene or the depression gene or the high blood pressure gene or the obesity gene. There are many of them, and most of us have a number of those genes, each of which contributes. Mm. Which, again, I guess is why the diseases, uh, Alzheimer's, all these diseases they're trying to figure out, they're complex and complicated by multiple genes. Interesting. Um, what would you say, just as we wrap up, uh, what's, the, what's the one thing that you would love uh, the listener to hear and the, and the reader of the book, Too Much of a Good Thing, what, would, what do you want them to walk away with? I think to understand how you know, our current health challenges are a reflection of the beneficial genes that kept our ancestors alive so that we are now the people who are here rather than the, what would have been the hypothetical descendants of the ancestors who didn't make it. Yeah. Uh, and that's all wonderful. Uh, but it gives us also uh, a challenge that those genes are sometimes a mismatch for the modern world and that through a combination, varying combinations in different individuals, of behavior, regulation, and medication, uh, we can address those things. But if we just leave them alone and ignore them, uh, they'll kill us. But they won't kill us quickly enough that they'll save future generations. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's prolonged, so it'll just keep killing us. Interesting. Dr. Lee Goldman, thank you so much for your time and your, uh, your great insight. My pleasure. Thank you. Honored to have you. Again, uh, Dr. Lee Goldman, um, cardiologist, world-renowned cardiologist and dean of the medical school at Columbia University. And the book, Too Much of a Good Thing, How Four Key Survival Traits Are Now Killing You. Isn't it interesting? Our strengths become our weaknesses and our weaknesses become strengths. Oops. The uh, when, you, when you look at it and you think that uh, the, the, the stronger we get, the future problems we could have, the future problems need to be evaluated and, and fixed. 
And uh, that's the power of the human is to adapt. We'll take a break, friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, hoping to help you live longer on the show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, a little coach's corner for you here. Isn't it interesting that the the strengths become the weaknesses? So uh, over evolution of the ma- of the body, we we needed certain traits to survive, and the body learned. And you know, if you were able to survive long enough to procreate and have children, those genes could be handed down. And now look at the curveball we've got because. We were able to run and sweat and, you know, rehydrate. Our body started craving salts and water and fluids. Now, all of a sudden, that has turned into, hey, let's go get some fries and a Diet Coke. (laughs) Not good. Or fries and a Coke. And now, all of a sudden, your brain loves the sugar because it wants as much sugar on board as it can get. Your brain loves the salt. And now... We have to deal with it. It used to save our lives, and now we don't need to chase an animal and run and sweat and perspire for hours. So um, how do we handle it now? Do you know how many times I've had people say, well, I mean, I know I've got this physical problem. I mean, I know it. I know. I've been anxious and depressed my entire life. I know it. But I don't want to get medicine. I don't want it. But what you're battling isn't just a weakness. You're battling evolutionary genes that are in you that have made you be a really uh, maybe tense, anxious person so you wouldn't get you know, snuck up on by a wild animal or a predator. You have that worry. That's in you. That's not going away. And so – as the good doctor told us, you can either regulate it away, you know, by having more regulation on what we can do, what we can't do, more regulation on our mental health industries, or we could also just, I guess, use behavior change, which I have a lot of people want to get over anxiety, but they don't know how and they don't get therapy and they don't read books about it, or eventually you're going to need to let science in. Somehow we need to break down a little bit, I think, of the belief that science is against us instead of science maybe there to be the valuable bridge to to bridge our our past and our future i mean and a lot of the people are god-fearing people that you know they don't they don't think they need medicine and drugs to fix something but god also gave you science right he also gave you you know insight the ability to learn and to read and to think he gave you choice and agency so if we're going to, you know, invoke God into the argument about how we handle our evolution and our realities, then let's involve him in everything. There are scientists that are deeply prompted and moved by a God. So let's make choices and let's not do it at the expense of our health. Interesting stuff, folks. That's our number one of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Stick with us, folks. More fun in just a few minutes.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. This is the show where we uh, give you the solutions, the tools, the information you need to live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Top of the morning to you. It's Friday. (sighs) You can breathe a sigh of relief. Because now you've got the weekend to go clean your house and do everything you need to do. That sounds depressing. Hey, a great uh, topic coming up on the show today. Um, We'll be talking about why single tasking is the new multitasking. Now you need to get, I guess, back to single tasking. (sighs) Good. Well, I think the real argument is that we never actually multitasked. Yeah, we actually you never had left. your actual task, and then you had a couple other things you were just distracted by. Because mm-hmm. yeah. you never actually accomplished anything with it. No, you well, just anxiety. Well, there's that, but that's about it. That's about all you got going. So we will be talking um, about multitasking. So if you're somebody that tends to try, you know, you got a lot of stuff you got to get done. You might want to be listening to our next expert. He wrote a wonderful article that was in the Huffington Post about uh, single tasking is the new multitasking. And he'll give you, a, all of us, a bunch of ideas about how to single task, how to stay focused just on one task, get one task done, get her done, and then get her checked off and next and move along. So uh, we'll be getting into that. But uh, one of the things I think that we have to just address is – because um, we've already talked politics, and I'm, you know, we'll we'll let Terry do that in the news because it's it's hard. It's hard to watch these people just keep having problems. Um, have you ever just been somewhere stressed out because you've been multitasking all day, and you, I don't know, let's say you just sit on a ferry, you're just on the ferry going back home, and out of nowhere. This 13-year-old kid keeps playing her vavuzela. It's kind of soothing if you think about it. I got 10 hours of this if you want it. Oh, wow. That's a vavuzela. That's the sound you hear like at a soccer match, right? Or, or a vuvuzela. Vuvuzela. Whichever pronunciation. It's the, the horn they used at the World Cup in South Africa. Yeah. It's a... It's a pretty nasty horn. When I remember watching those games and having to turn the volume down because this was yeah. the entire game. Yeah, just, that oh. ruined the game for me. Well, a dreaded vuvuzela or vuvuzela or vuvuzela La. is lying on the harbor bed after a man grabbed it from a 13-year-old girl and threw it overboard from an Australian ferry on Sunday. The girl's aunt complained to the police, but the police decided to take no action against the man because other passengers on the ferry said he had done everything else on the crowded ferry uh, that you could do to just get the girl to just put the thing down. I do think I know what a better solution would have been, though. I think that's a great idea. I think you're right. Taze it. How old was she? 13. Yeah, probably not. She was packing a vavuzela. But you walk up to a 13-year-old as a grown man and tase her, <laughs> I think that might lead to more problems. Yeah, but wouldn't you just want to see it for a second? 
Oh, of course, because that's annoying of the that blowing a horn in people's face. I, that and, was the first. That would be the first time that somebody played the electric vavuzela. Yes, it would. <laughs> you don't. Okay, we do not want to taste thirteen-year-old kids. There you go. We do, however, want to taste anybody playing a vavuzela on a ferry. Taste it. The teenager was blowing the vavuzela continuously inside the ferry. Witnesses told police that several people asked the girl to be quiet and sought assistance from the child's aunt, but to no avail. When one woman asked the girl to be quiet, the 13-year-old blew the vavuzela in the woman's face. Woo! The woman's husband was so infuriated that he grabbed the, the instrument. Is it an instrument? Could be. From the girl and threw it overboard. Police spoke with a number of witnesses who told them that if the man hadn't removed the vavuzel, it was only a matter of time before someone else would have done so or thrown the girl overboard. Could be. She was being a public nuisance. He really saved her life. So in this story, we wouldn't tase. You don't tase and twitch the child. You tase and twitch the aunt. Yeah, she should have done something. We need adult supervision. And the fear in the 13-year-old child's eyes would have been enough to just have her stop. Ooh. Scared straight. It's a great. <laughs> Scared straight. It works in a lot of states. Let's just scare you straight. No more vavuzela playing. But, you know, there is a point where you just, you're on a ferry. You're trapped. And some 13-year-old kid keeps doing that. Mm. Again, we do not condone violence. That's why we like the semi-violent approach of a taser. It sounds like a swarm of bees. Does this make you angry? Makes my heart rate go up. It's kind of unnerving. And you said this this video is ten hours long. Yeah. But you found the sound file. Why would anybody? Uh, Just because. Why not? This guy's got lungs. If he can go ten hours. It's got a million views. Why? Well, because they turned it on for 10 seconds and then turned it off, and that's a view. Not that they've watched the whole video. Not us. We like to just let it run for hours. This will be the new background sound for the show. It's kind it's just, of it's white noise. If we just let it behind no, the show. It's, it's not really, you know, like water or wind or like the sound of some exotic animal. This is annoying. This is why the guy did it. We're just trying to let you get a feel for it. How long will you go before you're just like, give me your vavuzela now? Okay, stop it. It's making me sick. Just a little bit longer. (sighs) For some reason, you don't find this annoying, do you? Ben likes this. This reminds him of home. Yes, it does. This reminds him of when he goes home and just scratches his nails on the board. His house that's under the power lines. This is the sound that the power lines make. (laughs) That's horrible. Hey, did you hear about uh, the New York State family that um, that is, I don't know. This is just my, this is my theme song um, for the next story. A New York State family is seeking snow nations. Snow nations. Like donations, but snow nations. From area residents to keep their 15-foot-tall snowman standing through the spring months. 
Mike Frigo and uh, his Massapequa Park family managed to keep their snowman standing through April 20th last year thanks to snow donations or snow nations from area residents. And the family is aiming to beat their record this year with their 15-foot snow sculpture, which was recently found to have shrunk to 13 feet. Send us your snow. The snowman, which was started with a freezer-preserved snowball from last year's version, survived a rainstorm this week thanks to his rain gear, a beach umbrella for a hat, and a whole lot of plastic wrapping for his body. So I guess they're looking for snow nations. They need you to send your snow to New York. There's a cause. Keep our snowman alive. Let it go. My son and I made a snowman about a week ago. Oh, wow. Notice it has a sword and an axe for hands. Yeah. That's kind of what we had on hand. And a, it looks like a like a Boy Scout hat. Pun intended. Uh, Yeah, sort of. And then there's a Superman cape. There's a lot of leaves on your snowman. There's a minion toy for his nose. <laughs> is so. that what that is? <laughs> Did he have coal eyes? What eyes? What, color, what are those I eyes? I think they were just wheels off a toy. Wow, you guys I just sort of, a lot of toys to build your snowman. Yeah, we just sort of grabbed That's things. Cute. Yeah, it was fun. Why don't we post that on our Twitter page? We could. Then you, everybody can go look at the neat snowman. Well, I made it. He watched me. He didn't want to get his shoes wet. <laughs> he's like, oh, it's cold in the snow, but make the snowman, Dad. He's he's a little diva. Yeah, yes. Devo. Hey, um, yeah, they just need to let the snowman go. I mean, I get it. They're trying to create community. But is somebody honestly in Canada going Maybe. to pack a big box of snow? Maybe. And then send it refrigerated? Apparently somebody did it last year, right? Wow, yeah. Well, more power to you. People buy leaves from Boston and have them shipped across the country. Or yeah, yeah. we had that story about air. Yeah. Where people in China were buying air from England. And they'd open the, the jar and have a whiff of air that came from England. Speaking of huffing, huffing. I saw um, <laughs> Ben trying to get air out of a can the other day. Uh-oh. I didn't know anybody was watching. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was an empty can. I saw you sucking on the little head there, um, the little tip of that cute little can, just, and then all of a sudden you got blue paint all over your teeth. Do you remember that? I, I think it was red spray paint, actually. Those were the days. Hey, we, um, we're we going to get to the headlines, folks. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on around the world that we need to stay up with. So let's go to Terry South, find out what's happening around the rest of the world. Thanks, Matt. At this hour, Justice Angeline Scalia's uh, body is now lying in repose at the Supreme Court. So his, I guess, viewing, as this would be, is, uh, is ongoing. Uh, the Pope questioned Trump's Christianity yesterday because he wants to put up a wall. Trump went back after him. On question on on how if if somebody should question somebody else's Christianity, I guess that was kind of the discussion, and then brought up you know if ISIS comes to the Vatican, then you're going to want President Trump here to protect you. <laughs> so that was kind of the give and take. Yeah. Later on, he he softened his uh, response to that and and said maybe the uh, the quotes from the Pope were a little out of context, kind of blamed sort of the media for not getting it correct or something. Huh. Huh. So that's kind of how that's all spun out. And all the rest of the presidential candidates stayed away from it because they don't want to get involved with Trump versus the Pope. Seems like that's a uh, clash of titans they don't want to get in the middle of. Right. In other news, Hillary Clinton will release her transcripts of her paid speeches. 
Oh, good. Just as long as everyone else does also. She says, I'm happy to release anything I have when everybody else does the same, Clinton said during a Tuesday Democratic Town Hall in Nevada before adding that all other candidates had made similar paid speeches, including her Democratic rival, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. According to the New York Times, Sanders made just under $2,000 for three speeches in 2014. Hold on, let me get this straight. He made $2,000 for three three speeches. speeches. Yes. A fraction of what Clinton has made. The former Secretary of State made 675000 for three speeches to Goldman Sachs. When asked during a previous televised town hall uh, event why she accepted so much money, she said, well, that's what they offered. Yeah. That's actually what. And then they later found out that's what she asked for. Well, you know, details. So she's saying <laughs> she'll release the transcripts as long as everyone else does also. Everyone else meaning Trump and all those others or just those on the Democratic side? She said everybody I'm else. pretty sure Bernie's an open book. Take it. Print it. Interesting. Interesting thought there. The Chicago, a Chicago judge is expected to hear testimony today in a lawsuit alleging that Republican presidential candidate Ted Cruz should not be allowed to run for the White House. Illinois voter Lawrence Joyce will have his case heard in Cook County Circuit Court. Joyce objects to Cruz's placement on the Illinois ba- uh, primary ballot next month over the Texas senator's Canadian birth, according to CNN. His previous objection to Cruz's eligibility was filed with the State Board of Elections and was dismissed. Cruz maintains he is a natural-born citizen as his mother is American-born. Hmm. So there's a challenge to Ted Cruz. Which, not bad, not I bad. I don't know how uh, strong of a challenge, but it's there. And the guy says that uh, my uh, my case presents the perfect opportunity for Donald Trump himself to step forward and bring the matter to court personally. <laughs> no comment. No comment from the Trump campaign. Yeah. Shauna Cox, one of the 25 people indicted on a federal conspiracy charge in the armed takeover of the Oregon National Wildlife Refuge, has filed her own complaint against federal employees saying she was a victim of public corruption and government oppression. The eight-page counter-criminal complaint filed Wednesday in U.S. District Court in Portland contends that state and federal employees attempted to kill her and executed her co-witness and co-informant, Robert Lavoy Finnegan, on January 26. She mm-hmm. pledges to subpoena a wide range of local, state, and federal officials for depositions. She seeks more than $666 billion in damages from the, quote, works of the devil, hence the 666, oh my the heavens. complaint says. So I think the big <sighs> worry there is if the federal government loses and they have to come up with $666 billion. Yeah. Do you think that's the big concern in the case? Yeah, totally. Okay. That's the only thing they're worried about. I thought that was funny. The high-profile, high-stakes battle between Apple and the FBI over breaking the encryption on iPhones of suspected criminals broke into the open this week, but it has been coming to a head since last fall when Apple refused to unlock the iPhone 5S of a suspected drug dealer in New York, the New York Times reports. The suspect... Uh, had a phone running uh, iOS 7, the operations system, uh, seventh version of it, which doesn't encrypt data automatically, but Apple's uh, iOS 8 and introduced introduced in late 2014 and iOS 9 have stymied local and federal investigators because mm. they have encrypted data. So right. before the, the, the seventh version of the software wasn't encrypted, the eighth and ninth versions were. Uh, in, the, the, in this specific case, after years of cooperating with law enforcement, Apple attorney... Uh, said that Apple was drawing a line in the sand. So before, there's a report yesterday that Apple had unlocked like 70 phones in the New York area. Right, right. And it was because it was the so- the software before 8 and 9, which were encrypted. Once iOS 8 and iOS 9 came out, they were encrypted. Oh, they stopped so they cooperating. Right. That's why it's an issue now. 
But why is it? And everyone else are jumping in for other reasons because they just don't want their companies to be pushed to have to spy on their customers. Well, if if, if one of the features that you have to mention, or not have to mention, but can be mentioned, is that you cooperate with the government, yeah. maybe people don't buy your phone. Well, it really is more like they'd rather spy – the company would rather be the only one spying on you instead of the federal government spying right. on you. Because these companies, they're they're capturing all of your data yeah. and using it anyway. They're using against it to, you. to send ads to you. To market to you, to, you, to work that, yeah. you. Interesting. They're trying to corner the market on spying. Uh, yeah. They, by calling it protecting your data, but they're able to go through and search it themselves. And then so. give it to Ted Cruz's campaign. Apparently. At times. <laughs> A massive 404-carat diamond was found in the South African wow. country of Angola. Uh, the 404.2-carat diamond is the biggest diamond ever found in Angola, 27th biggest record recorded diamond in the world. The mining company that found it said the spectacular white diamond could be valued at more than $20 million. Wow. It is the fourth 100-plus-carat diamond recovered from this region of Angola. That's amazing. Yeah. Donald's wife would love that. Make a necklace, ring, earrings. You'd probably need more like a bracelet. Could be. A leg iron. <laughs> <laughs> to carry the diamond. Interesting news. Would you go buy a 400-plus carat diamond? Hey, honey, I've got you something. From the bottom of my heart, $20 million diamond. Hey, we're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, why single-tasking is the new multitasking. Let's give up the dream of multitasking. Let's just give it up. And let's just focus on getting one thing done at a time Our our, uh, next guest, Andrew Merle, wrote a wonderful article about the subject in the Huffington Post, why single tasking is the new multitasking. We've asked him to join us to talk about uh, his paper and his article and um, what he's learned about getting stuff done. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Are you a multitasker? Are you surfing the web, writing a paper, getting work done while listening to music, cooking, and managing your children or your coworkers? With so many activities and interests pulling at our attention, multitasking is nearly a necessity these days. But is multitasking the most productive way to approach our day? Andrew Merle, author of the Huffington Post article, Why Single Tasking is the New Multitasking, joins us now live from San Francisco to talk about his article. Andrew, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Matt. You bet. Great to have you. Fun article. And um, when I when I think about it, I mean, I always hear you, are, you really can't multitask anyway. But what's your take? What is your view of uh, how, or what, what's your purpose or your meaning of thinking why single tasking is the new multitasking? Yeah, I mean, I think that we're, you know, we're busier than ever. Uh, the intro sort of alluded to that. Uh, we're doing many things at once. And oftentimes, uh, you know, we pride ourselves on, on how busy we are and how many things we can do at once. But my point of view is that, uh, that we can do multiple things at once, but we really can't concentrate on more than one thing uh, at a time, and, and we really can't do anything well mm. uh, if we're trying to do multiple things at the same time. And so this uh, this post is really about, hey, how do we 
uh, sort of tap into our own minds, focus on one thing and do it well, as opposed to trying to do too many things and, and maybe sacrificing quality uh, yeah. at that time. In fact, and it's interesting, too, because, um, Andrew, you have another job other than just writing for the Huffington Post, right? I do. I do. Yeah. So, I, uh, I work in marketing for, for Cliff Bar, uh, you know, leading maker of, of organic food and drinks. And um, yeah, so, you know. So you like are multitasking, too, right? Like many of your listeners, you know, I balance competing priorities all the time. I have a busy job, uh, many demands on my own time. And, you know, to be successful, I think for any of us, uh, we need to, you know, we need to focus. And I think that, you know, focus is really one of our biggest competitive advantages. And it's hard to do that when we're trying to do too many things at, at the same time. No, absolutely. And by the way, my favorite is the banana nut bread. Ah, just, so, just in excellent. case you want to push that. Um, but <laughs> I, I love it. It's great. We've got to send some over to you <laughs> Do it. And, uh, in the office there. Yeah, send them. They're the best ever. It's um, When I think about it, Andrew, because to me, you're the perfect example. You're, you're running a marketing you know, group and, and helping in your jobs day in, day out. You're still able to research and put together articles for the Huffington Post, plus just your personal life and your social life. We, um, but your what you said earlier is so appropriate. We we think we can get a lot of stuff done, but what level of quality are we doing it? What what's really happening as far as our quality with all of this? Yeah, and I think you know a lot of times we're, you know, we're afraid to say that we're we're not busy, or you know, it, it's comforting to you know, to be checking email or, or checking social media all the time because, it you know, it gives us things to do. We're, we're constantly busy in that sense. But, you know, a point I make in the piece is, you know, busyness and, and productivity and sort of getting real work uh, and meaningful work done are, are two different things. And so, uh, you know, that ability to focus is, is so important. It's like in the middle of – if you met somebody that said, well, about, you know – Three times a day, I like to just stop everything and just sit for about thirty <laughs> minutes and think. Yeah, you, you and, would and, you would look at that person like really, right? And a lot of people are afraid to admit that, but I think you know you see a lot of a lot of business leaders these days, and and that's what they're doing. You know, uh, you know, Bill Gates famously is you know, taking weeks off throughout the year to, to go away and just to think and to read. And uh, Mark Zuckerberg and others have, have talked about doing similar things. So I think that it's becoming uh, more accepted and more popular to say, hey, you know what, there is a lot going on. There are a lot of distractions. There are a lot of demands on my time. And kind of taking a step back and, and tuning into our own minds and thinking is, is more important than ever. And uh, you know that that's really the purpose of this story and hmm. this article. And uh, you in the article you cite uh, Tom Rath, who's been on the show, I believe, a couple times, and he he's uh, a New York Times bestseller of a new book, "Are You Fully Charged?" And in there, you use a quote that that he says, "Staying connected is now remarkably easy. As a result, getting anything of substance done is not. We now can be connected with so many people, and yet." still incapable of delivering the goods. Yeah, and I, you know, I love that line and I love the the book and he's a fantastic author and has written many great books. 
But, yeah, I mean, we, we are more connected than ever, uh, whether it's email or our tablets or, or social media and push notifications and other alerts. You know, it's, it, it seems as though constantly there's some type of buzzing or ringing or, or something going on. And, and, you know, I think he and, and certainly I, I will talk up the benefits of technology. It, keep, it keeps us so connected. There are so many benefits, but at the same time, I think it's more important than ever that we're able to manage them and, and take control of our devices instead of kind of letting them take control of us. And he talked really uh, effectively about that in his book, Are You Fully Charged? So yeah, you, I would highly recommend that. You give the stats that he shares. Um, he says that people unlock their cell phones an average of 110 times per day, which is why, you know, Apple doesn't want to unlock it for the FBI. Come on. Um <laughs> An average yeah, of 110. You know, I was amazed when I read that stat, and you know, I think it's you it's know, crazy. nine times an hour in the in the peak evening hours, and you know, we 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 all do it, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, at a moment if we're if we're bored or looking for something to do, all of a sudden we, you know, that that's our 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 clutch, and we you know open the phone, we we check social media, check email, but then you know that diverts our attention again, and. You know, how do we focus on the most important things and spend our time doing those uh, and, instead of kind of falling back on some of our, our habits? Have, um, have you looked into, I mean, your brain's ability to actually do multiple things, you really can only tangibly concentrate with a high level of consciousness on one thing at a time, right? So if I have to write a paper, I, I can only really focus on the paper at hand. Isn't that I right? Think so. I mean, yeah, if I, I want to chew I, gum, I can do I can chew gum and write a paper, but I'm not thinking about chewing my gum. Right. I think that there are mindless things that you can do and and you can multi multitask in that sense, but if two things really require your brain power and require your concentration, I don't think you're able to to do them effectively. I mm. think that that's why you know, if you're if you're working on something and all of a sudden an email pops up that, you know, sends your attention in a different direction, I think we've all found that it's really hard to get back into the work that we were doing, and we lose a few minutes in that process of going from one thing to the next. So if we can shut some of those things off, tur- you know, turn off some of those distractions and have, you know, an hour of uninterrupted time, that seems like such a luxury these days, um, which doesn't mean it isn't important to, to take breaks. I think, you know, we all uh, at some point, you know, hit fatigue and you aren't able to focus on one thing forever. So it's important to take breaks, but not trying to do too many things at, at once is the point. Yeah. In fact, let's take a break and come back and continue the discussion with you, Andrew. I want to get, when we come back, you've made a great list of some tools, some strategies we can use to take control over our devices and to tune in our minds uh, so we can actually single task and get stuff done. Um, interesting, interesting list. So we'll be back more with Andrew Merle, um, who is uh, a writer for HuffingtonPost.com, and his article, Why Single Tasking is the New Multitasking. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, we've all got so much we're trying to get done, and yet we have distractions coming in like crazy, um, and it's hard. And it's we we want to look busy, we want to feel important, and yet what a lot of this comes down to is just the one-on-one, getting something done, having enough time in your life to focus one-on-one, and to even build your relationships 
uh, one-on-one. Joining us uh, is the author of an article titled, Why Single Tasking is the New Multitasking. Andrew Merle is his name, and Andrew has um, uh, been balancing his own life, a marketing career, and also a writing career. Um, and it's it's never, never an easy task to to, to kind of do both. Andrew, thank you again for being with us. Absolutely. Happy to be here this morning. I mean, it's interesting. How does a, how does a senior manager of sports marketing for Cliff Bar, how did you choose this topic to write about for Huffington Post? Oh, you know what? I think, uh, you know, we talked about the, the Tom Raff book yeah. in, uh, uh, just before the break. And I think, you know, I'm always uh, looking to read things and looking to learn to improve in my career, improve in, in my life. And so I think, you know, as I've read things and uh, insights have helped me, I've then tried to, you know, distill that and, and share that with others. And hopefully that can help other people as well. And this is one topic that really resonates with me as I, you know, balance many different things in my life as as your listeners do. And so I thought that these insights and these tips really helped me, and so I, I wanted to share, and that's why I, uh, I wrote this piece for the Huffington Post. And I appreciate it because the, just the distractions alone can be <laughs> overwhelming. What, what, what are the statistics on distractions? How much are we truly or really interrupted every day? Well, and I, you know, I put this in the uh, in the piece, and and some of the statistics that you know Tom writes about in his book is that, and we mentioned it before, that unlocking a hundred, you know, our cell phones 110 times per day, that you know when we're sitting in front of our computer screen uh, at work, we're interrupted about every three minutes. Mm. Uh, you know, some of the some of the statistics I've read are, you know, that we forfeit 28% of each day to distraction. Um, you know, a New York Times article, uh, you know, mentioned that, you know, only one in five people uh, say that they have the ability to focus on one thing at a time at work. So, you know, I think these are the things that, and, and I'm sure those statistics are, you know, maybe maybe shocking to hear, but, but not surprising. And many people feel that in their own lives and uh, in their own workplace. And so, you know, there are a lot of a lot of demands on our on our time and our attention, and so uh, being able to kind of focus and and tune into our own minds is is setting people apart. I mm, think totally. Nowadays. I mean, and maybe that is that's the future advantage, right? The person that can tune in and dial out the noise is going to is going to become the the superstar. I not, think so. You know, I not just so. the one that dances. I think the you know, the things that we'll be uh, really proud of, you know, 10 years from now or years from now, and, you know, plenty of people have said this, you know, it, it won't be a result of us responding to, to different things or, or sort of reacting to urgent, urgent things that come in. You know, it'll be, you know, setting the priorities and trying to, uh, to, to work on longer term and meaningful uh, projects. So, um, you know, what that means is that we need to, to limit the day-to-day urgent, uh, urgent things that take so much of our time. Okay, so teach us how to do that. What were some of the strategies? And I'm sure, you know, this isn't all of the strategies, right? Just what are some of the ones that you found uh, work in your life um, that, that uh, you think we might want to focus on? I, I know one was just simply don't check your email, right? Early or late. Don't check it first thing or last thing at night. That's one thing that I read from Tim Ferriss, 
uh, you know, who, who wrote the incredibly popular, you know, the four-hour work week. And, you know, what he says is don't check email first thing in the morning or last thing at night. And putting this into practice for me really has been a life changer. And, you know, he says, hey, if you check email first thing in the morning, those priorities that you had for the day, kind of throw them out the window because you'll be uh, reacting to something that, you know, feels like an emergency or an urgent need, and it'll, it'll kind of throw your day off. Mm. Uh, which I think is is so true. Uh, so I suggest, you know, trying to do the most important thing on your to-do list, do that first thing in the morning when you're, you know, when your energy is high and when your focus is, is highest, and then check email from there. Yeah, interesting. Then, otherwise, yeah, otherwise you'll get, you'll get, you know, interrupted or co-op. Somebody, somebody else's emergency becomes your new most important thing of the day. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, the you know, the day flies by and we didn't get that thing done and that will just stress us out the, you know, the following day. So obviously email is necessary. We have to check email, but I don't think it needs to be the first thing that we do every day. I think that we can focus on uh, on a top priority first. Mm. Uh, and then last thing before bed is really, uh, you know, I think we've all had that happen where we check email before bed and then something, you know, sends our mind kind of spinning or, you know, a frustrating email comes in and then we're, we're up and tossing and turning throughout the night and, and don't sleep well because of it. So uh, I think that those tips that Tim mentioned in his book are, uh, have been really helpful in my life. And, uh, I mean, another one um, is, and you mentioned it a second ago, but is finish your most important thing on the list early. Do it first in the morning. Why? I mean, it makes sense, but what have you found? How has that impacted you to get it done early? one i think it sets up uh i think it sets up the day really well i think when you uh when you accomplish something right away it then sort of sets off a chain reaction of accomplishment and by the end of the day you'll you'll see that you probably accomplished more than you ever thought uh and on the flip side if you had only a couple things that you really wanted to get done for the day and you get to the end of the day and you didn't do them I think it causes anxiety, it causes stress, which, you know, then starts to, um, you know, bleed into the following day. Mm. So I think that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pattern of behavior one way or the other, and it's about kind of setting up that habit of achieving something in the morning, uh, and then, you know, sort of the rest of the day will follow. And it's some, it seems like so much of our, the things that interrupt and distract us uh, in our day, like, like an email in the morning, you can choose to just not look at it and and not react to it. But another one is just the the alerts, the notifications. You can choose to turn off the technology in ways that it's not constantly pinging you and interrupting you. Yeah, and that's one of the one of the suggestions in uh, in the article is you know turn off those notifications. Turn off you know if you use Outlook or another email uh, you know. Turn it off so that a box doesn't pop up when when a new email comes in, because otherwise you'll look at that and that'll you know that'll derail you. One of the things I recommend is you know setting specific times to check social media, check email, respond to phone calls. You know, take a block there and, and do it all at once, as opposed to doing it piecemeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another uh, another thing. Again, these aren't you know I'm not the first person to to say this, and it's easier said than done, but you know, blocking off that time will actually have you be more effective at your email during that time versus responding to each one as it comes in. Uh, you also suggest um, kind of 
taking your electronic devices and and having some time in the day where we just we're just shutting them down. We're not going to have the screens on. I guess you're saying about an hour before bedtime. And uh, what what have you found as you've been able to do that? Yeah, well, I think that um, you know before bed that you know that's really to set you up for for a good night's sleep. And you know, limiting you know light exposure in the evening again, not exposing yourself to to stressors that could come in. So that's been really effective. But you know, I think also when you're you know when you're with other people, you know you've made the decision to be with those people and spend time with them, whether that's you know lunch or dinner or coffee. And you know, I recommend you know putting your phone away during that uh, during that time, focusing on the relationship and the conversation that you're having. Uh, you know, with that person, and that, you know, we feel like we always need to be uh, on our phones, but, you know, it isn't always necessary. Focus on, on what you have right in front of you. That's so true. We just went to breakfast and um, as a family, and I look around the table, and I think there were eight of us there. Um, at, six of the eight were on their phones. Yeah. And I you know, just, and- it was amazing. And it's so easy to have it happen, or yeah. you know, we're we have our phones with us all the time. And again, that's another thing where the buzzing happens. You know, a text comes in or a push notification comes in, and all of a sudden we're looking at our phone. But you know, how does it make you feel if you're you know out to out to a meal with someone and they're looking at their phone uh, ten times throughout that meal? So you know, it, I, I think relationships will improve if we focus on you know the conversations that we're having with people. Uh, during these meals and, you know, put the phone phone down or the phone away during those times. Again, it's one thing at a time, focusing on that relationship, that conversation, instead of uh, being pulled in, in a number of different directions. I love your, your last uh, suggestion. Consider going completely phone-free for one day each weekend. <laughs> I love that. I struggle with it. Have you been able to do it? And, and what have you learned from that? I try to. I try to. And, and, you know, I don't think it's practical uh, during the work week for a number of reasons. But if you put your phone away from, let's say, uh, you know, a Friday evening through a Saturday evening, chances are, uh, you know, no, nothing really bad would, would happen. <laughs> right. And I think some of the most, you know, uh, you know, peaceful days uh, are those when you're not, you know, constantly looking at the phone or, or spending time with friends or family and, uh, going outside, doing you know something uh, something fun, and I, I think it you know it, it it brings back the focus in many ways. You think about different things that you don't when you're when you're checking your devices all the time. So I think it's a great habit. It's one that I uh, I strive for, and and I definitely recommend to others as well. Yeah, I do too. I mean, and and just the discipline of it, and it kind of probably breaks the addiction a little bit. Yeah, and you feel good about it afterwards. Yeah, you know, I think you're you feel proud of yourselves. If it, you know, it feels like a, a mini accomplishment in and of itself. Not to mention the benefit of just hey, there's extra time spending you know time with others, extra time thinking or, or doing whatever else it, it is during that time. But you know, I think a, a Saturday is a great time to to do that. It's when we probably need to be connected to our phone the least. Yeah, and I love it. I think these are all great. Um, Great ideas. To, as we as we wrap it up, Andrew, what would you say? I always like to know the one thing. So, of everything you've learned about single tasking and and multitasking um, and mindfulness, what 
what is the one thing that we should all remember when it comes to you know better managing the distractions and staying focused? Well, I think it comes down to that you know we're busier than ever, we're more hectic than ever. Uh, it's easier to be distracted these days than it ever has been before, and having the ability to tune into our own minds, having the ability to to think, and and having the discipline to 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 focus on one thing at a time, I really think will uh, set people apart as we uh, in the future, and so. It does take a discipline, but I think it's it's so important. And so, uh, I would just say, you know, minimize those distractions and, and focus on one thing at a time, and that really will will set people apart in the future. Great stuff. Appreciate you, Andrew. Thanks for your great work. Uh, keep up the great work at Cliff Bar too, because uh, and keep making good food. Absolutely. Thanks so much hey, for thank having you. me, Matt. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, awesome stuff. Again, you can find more out about Andrew if you just go to his uh, Twitter page at Andrew Merle, um, and uh, or find him on Twitter. Um, you can also uh, just keep looking for him on Huffington Post and and uh, other writings. Interesting stuff. It really is. It's the it's the age of connection as far as being able to get to people and connect. I guess through technology with people, but that doesn't mean you are connected. It doesn't mean you are listening and paying attention. That's going to take place when you can actually focus on the people. Excellent stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Come right back and uh, wrap up this second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, one of the biggest victims of this new age of information and uh, technology is going to be the relationship, right? And as a relationship coach, uh, I do believe it's something we need to pay close attention to. So it will be today's topic of the Coach's Corner. How do we how do we close the closeness gap? Many people are struggling um, feeling close to another person, they, they they feel lonely, personally, and uh, you know, interpersonally, they feel like they just aren't close to their partner, to their kids. Um, it's hard when everyone's sitting, looking at their phones, and no one's connecting and talking. You might start to feel like you don't matter, that you are irrelevant, and um, there's. It is a plague, quite honestly, and, and yet it's something that we, we can fix. But like our good guest Andrew Merle was just saying, you might need to make some choices, like the choice to put the phone away. And that's that's easier said, and I say it, and every time I say it, I notice that I, I still have a hard time putting my phone away because the phone makes it so I don't need to be vulnerable, I don't need to talk to anybody, I'm tired, just once I pull it out, everyone kind of leaves me alone. But some of that then fosters this sense of loneliness. And uh, one of the things, there's a great book out there that I would highly recommend um, uh, called Stop Being Lonely. And it's um, uh, the Kira, Kira somebody, let me find, look up her name, but it's in the book, um, one of the ideas behind the concept of stop being lonely is what we really need to do is start to feel 
more um, more of an ability to get to understand the people around us. We really have to kind of step in and get uh, to understand who we are married to, who we are living with. Uh, Kira Asatryan is the author of the book, Stop Being Lonely, Three Simple Steps to Developing Close Relationships and Deep – or Close Friendships and Deep Relationships. But one of the interesting things she teaches is uh, don't just assume you understand the person you're with. And I did this yesterday with a, with a couple – where I had them identify on a list of positive traits and negative traits, um, what are their top, you know, eight, you know, positive ways that they see themselves, and what are some of the negative ways they see themselves that that they in their in their head in their heart of hearts they really they feel this way, uh, they they and and basically this couple had been arguing about a situation. And um, we did this activity, and then I had them turn to each other and talk about what they found. One person's uh, – one of his top traits was loyalty. Another person's top trait, the female's top trait, was um, just just uh, com- compassion and, um, you know, and, and just a sense of compassion for others. And what ends up happening is uh, the, the male's negative trait was stubbornness and the female's negative trait was confusion. So what ends up happening in their relationship is a lot of times the the wife is compassionately serving her children while the husband is lonely and loyal and wondering why she isn't more loyal to him. And then they fight. And what was amazing is is I had them start identifying how they both see themselves and how their partner sees themselves. It changes the entire discussion. He's not being stubborn because he hates her. He's being stubborn because that's just his weakness. And she doesn't get confused about not loving him or loving the kids. I mean, that confusion is not coming because she doesn't love him. It's coming because she's so compassionate. She's going to always take care of the one that's in the need. Well, then he has to create a need for her to be able to be compassionate. The power of if you want to be um, more connected to others is you've got to understand where they're coming from, from their frame of reference. If they're trying to do something and they want loyalty, you need to understand that. If they want more compassion, you need to understand that. Understanding somebody is the antidote to creating a closer relationship. So a little challenge for you. Put down the phones. Go try to understand each other. Make sense? We'll take a break. We'll be back next hour. More of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side, ready to send you into the weekend. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. You've almost made it, folks. Weekend is here. And uh, what better way to celebrate it than today, International Tug of War Day. Everybody loves a good tug of war. I never really liked tug of war. I always felt like I was the loser. I was the anchor. Were you? Put the big guy on the end to fall down. They just tie the rope around you? Yeah. Yeah, I was always the one right by the flag in the middle, mm-hmm. and the first one in the, the mud puddle or well, whatever was there. Actually, 
I just would hang on to the rope, put my feet up on the rope. I'm not going in the mud. As long as they're still fighting, I'm good. Sometimes I'd even like shimmy across the rope to the other side that was winning. Join their team? Join their team. That works for me. I mean, not really loyal, Hmm. but a winner. (laughs) Right? It's half the battle. Half the battle. International Tug of War Day. Um, There are 53 nations that have formal national organizations for playing tug of war. (sighs) See, there's something for everybody on this earth. It's the way it seems at times. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's something for everybody. Except this poor cat. Did you hear about the British family cat, which disappeared 14 months ago, has piled on the pounds after he was found living in a nearby pet food factory? Ooh. I mean, <laughs> if, if, you're gonna, if you're going to run away from home and you're a cat, go to the pet food cat factory. The two-year-old cat Clive disappeared from his home on December 2014, leaving owners Tanya and Jonathan Irons devastated. The couple, who have a two-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, put up posters around the neighborhood and launched an appeal on Facebook. But to no avail, Clive, what a name, was finally found on, um, by staff at the pet food factory two miles away who had noticed treats had been going missing. Now the family have been reunited with Clive, who has ballooned to almost twice his original size. He's been living well. He's been loving it. Oh, now he's going to go back to that house where they're not – they're just going to give him some nasty cat food. There's no food just sitting around at any moment that he would like it. Poor Clive. He's He's, no longer living the life of Riley. That sounds like a plan. Like the cat went – I think I'm going to go hide in the cat food factory. Yeah. Can't you see him just driving down the street with his parents and his owners, I guess we're calling them, with the owners, and he looks over and sees the cat or the pet food factory and thinks to himself, yeah, what do you think I am, stupid? Excellent. I'm going to get out of this house and head to the pet food factory. Those people, they'll leave it everywhere. There is going to be food for everyone. Anyway, um, you know. Sometimes you just luck out. Sometimes life is really, really good for you. Uh, today we got uh, a great show. We're going to be getting into the uh, a new release of the movie Risen. That uh, will be with Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews. He happens to be in town today, so he'll be in studio with us. Um, and uh, we're also going to do a little segment, uh, uh, you know, with emphasis on the word little segment with our producers <laughs> Uh, who's working with you today, Ben? Joe. Ben and Joe are going to be uh, doing the the producer segment, which is where we try to let you all get a little bit of a taste of the great personalities and people that are behind the show. Really the brains of the organization. And on the off weeks, we bring in Ben yeah. and Joe. Yeah, and then when, the, when everyone else can't make it, we bring in Ben and Joe. And uh... That was a good burn. Good burn. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was well planned. <laughs> <laughs> totally true, though. Totally true burn. Um, so we'll get to that. Then, of course, BYU Sports Nation will find out what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. So we've got a great hour for you. And uh, But before we, we move on, we, we really got to take a look at the headlines. What's going on around the rest of the country? Thanks, Matt. Nell Harper-Lee, who won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 1961 for her, her book, To Kill a Mockingbird, has died 
at the age of 89, according to multiple sources in her hometown of Moreauville, Alabama. This confirmed this morning. She was born April 28th of 1926. Her book, To Kill a Mockingbird, published on July 11th, 1960. Have you read this book, Matt? The new one? No. You've read To Kill a Mockingbird? Yes, I have. The old one. But the new one? The new, I don't know what the name of the new one is. Yeah. We talked about it a lot about it here. We did. It kind of changed ago. some of the meaning behind yeah. To Kill a Everybody, Mockingbird. Everybody, you have to read To Kill a Mockingbird, right? You can't get out of junior high without it. Was it junior high? I, I did. Wow. I may need to read a book. Book on tape. Book on tape? For you, yeah. I mean, I do have a, a commute every morning, I so I can use you that could, to... You can hammer it out. It's awesome. To, okay. Great book. I'll look into that. Come on. But what what equals middle class? Uh, when you're looking at tax plans, because all every presidential candidate has a, has a oh, tax what plan. Income? What income level would be middle class? Well, to me, middle class would be, so let's just say lower economic class status would be like maybe 35,000. Okay. So I would say anywhere from like 35,000 to 100,000. Is this a dual income or a single income? It's just what's middle that class. That seems like what middle class is. It also is. depends on what market or where you live. Where you in, live. in San Francisco right. and in New York. But like New York kinda, City, middle class would be it you, you got to have more. 70 grand to even enter. I mean, because poverty line is yeah. below 70, I would assume. The, the economic standing of whatever town you're in also de- sure. you know, helps to figure that out. Both Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton have tax plans that extend the, quote, middle class of vacation up to those earning $250,000 a year. So a quarter of a million dollars would put you at the high end of the middle class. That's what they're saying. A number that some experts say is arbitrary and false. According to the latest U.S. Census Bureau statistics reported by CNN Money, those with incomes of $250,000 a year are among the nation's top earners, with households making $206,000 considered within the top 5% in 2014. Yeah. So the truly middle class American family makes something like $53,000 a year, according to a Pew Research Center, as they define the middle class as those making two thirds to two times the median income for one's household size, meaning a truly middle class family of three would earn between forty two and one hundred twenty six thousand a year. But all these tax plans are saying two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Wow. As the middle class. That doesn't seem right. They, this is weird to be coming from the Democrats because you'd think they would classify this differently. And Sanders and Clinton aren't the first to have this such a generous definition of the middle class. Former President Bill Clinton campaigned with the number 250000 in 1992. Bill Clinton's top tax bracket applied to those making over $250,000. Obama also used his er- this earning as a threshold to define wealthy and middle class. Experts blame the disconnect between politicians and the true middle class income on the fact that decision makers in Washington are surrounded by people with above average salaries. So huh. there's the Washington bubble. Yeah. And they're they have this disconnect. They don't truly know what the middle class is. They think it's two, 250,000 might not be that much in Washington DC. Right. This is weird because – so what is – I guess if you're making $75,000 in middle America, mm-hmm. you are then 
in middle class or are you in the upper end of the lower economic strata? It depends on the tax plan. That is crazy. Yeah. And these are how they're, they're setting up the economy or how, how, to, how we generate money for the, the, our economy, our nation, is based on the, these plans with these numbers that are this is why of, nobody. This is why everybody wants – like not everybody, but a lot of people are after Donald Trump. Yes. This right, this right there, kind of thing, this idea, thing. this thinking. Yeah, that's why I was reading that last night. And as I was reading it, I look up and Hillary Clinton's on CBS News talking about two hundred fifty thousand dollars in her tax plan, and I'm like, oh my gosh, here we go. And the funny thing about that is that would put Hillary, one speech of Hillary's puts her in the middle class. It does. Just one. Just one. <laughs> Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders just became the new uh, national frontrunner for the Democratic presidential nomination, at least according to a Fox News poll released late on Thursday. Mm. This marks the first time Sanders has ever topped Clinton in a national poll. uh, Sanders comes in three points ahead of Clinton with a 47-44 lead, which is within the poll's margin of error. Mm. So that's interesting. As he has closed the lead there. Closing in. An early morning shooting Friday outside the Cosmopolitan Hotel in Las Vegas left at least two people dead, one injured, according to police. A fight took place on a third floor of a nearby Miracle Mile Shops parking garage, and then several minutes later, officials received report of a shooting on the street. A car pulled into the Cosmopolitan's valet with one man and a woman who had both been shot. Whoa. Both of them eventually passed away because of the injuries. Police have surveillance footage of the initial parking garage fight and have confirmed that the vehicle containing the two bullet-wounded individuals was involved. Wow. And there's a primary this weekend. Not saying they're connected. <laughs> saying there's you're two, not, you're there's not two saying things. that a candidate was involved. There's two things happening. Okay. If Donald Trump wins the presidency, there is a def- there's definitely one place out there that will be welcoming to fleeing Americans with opening ar- open arms. Canada's Cape Breton Island, the rural Nova Scotia island, is angling to solve America's impending Trump problem by inviting anyone who wants to leave the USA to move to the island. Cape Breton Island uh, even has a website laying out their offer, complete with specifics on how life on the island will be better than life in an American led, uh, America led by Trump. It says, don't wait till Donald Trump is elected president to find someone else somewhere else to live. Start now. That way, on election day, you'll just hop on a bus to start your new life in Cape Breton, where Muslim people can roam freely and the only walls are holding up roofs of our extremely affordable housing. Moreover, the website says healthcare is free. You can get paid leave for nearly a year if you have a baby. And although it's Canada, it's not really that cold. (laughs) They have some issues in that area of Nova Scotia where there's uh, no jobs. Yeah. And so all the young people are moving out to find work. And so their population is plummeting, and they're trying to find any way to get people to move up there. Oh, my heavens. So they're saying, hey, if you don't want to live in the U.S., if Trump's elected, you can come move here. <laughs> wow. there's. I think I have a feeling there will be quite a exodus. It, it's a pretty place. It's right on the, the coast. You can have that lifestyle. Just don't expect to have any sort of work. Well. Bring it with you. Be a, be a contractor. But if you're a middle-class person, right. you may have saved enough. Maybe. That's crazy. It's all nuts. Interesting stuff. Thank you, Terry. Well, let's take a break. Come back when we come back. Our good uh, uh, buddy um, from parentpreviews.com, Rod Gustafson, will be joining us. We'll be doing a review of the movie Risen. Um, Interesting, interesting. uh, I don't know. I don't know what's happening to Hollywood, but we're going to get some inside scoop from Rod Gustafson. 
uh, a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. Stick with us, folks, helping you get ready for the weekend coming up. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us in studio, um, Rod Gustafson is here from ParentPreviews.com. We have Rod on every Friday to uh, look at the upcoming movies that are going to be released. He's a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. But uh, you are in town from, you're up down from Canada. Down from Canada. Now, you know that Cape Breton thing? That yeah. really is a beautiful place. Uh, it's incredible. And it, well, there's a lot of jobs going on in the East, maybe not right in Cape Breton. Do they have uh, internet? Because you could just get an internet job. I think they even have flush toilets. Do they really? Yeah. yeah, so, you have yeah. A, <laughs> so if you need to <laughs> go right. to Canada, head to Canada. <laughs> if anybody's listening from Cape Breton, I apologize. Yes, they it have internet. Beautiful. Yeah, it has Absolutely. But yeah. So yeah. You, you can go make your job. Yes, um, yes. So, Rod, talk to me about this movie, Risen. I, ever since Noah came out, not Noah, the original <laughs> Noah, the movie um, Noah, I, I've been, fr- not frustrated, but wondering, Hollywood, it seems like, is running out of content, so mm-hmm. they keep creating or rewriting stories. Or So I was worried about this, this Risen because this is a story about the Savior's mm-hmm. death. Yeah, yeah. Well, I need to give it, I need to back up about a year. Last year, I think we had more faith based movies than we've ever seen yeah. released in a single year. It, obviously, the marketing people in Hollywood are saying if there is money here, there's a boatload of money here, we need to figure out how to get hmm. these people into theaters. And so they had a couple last year. There was Noah and then Exodus, Exodus. as well, was yeah. another one that. For people uh, who are faith-based, like myself, you go to these movies and you think, what were they thinking? Did anybody read the story? Did anybody read the book? And, you know, the rock monsters in Noah, I think all of us, that's where we just lost it. I didn't understand. Yeah, yeah, what's going on? So they they seem to be hitting the mark more. Now, this movie is coming from Sony Motion Pictures, of Mm. course, big major studio. But they have a little offshoot division called Affirm Films. And Affirm Films is developed to distribute faith-based movies. Now, the other thing, Hollywood, excuse me, Hollywood is all about the multiples. And so if you have a movie like last year, we had a movie called The War Room, which Mm -hmm. was distributed by Affirm Films. It cost $3 million to make that movie. It made 60-some-odd million in the there box office. Multiples. Do the math, yes. Yeah. And so they are recognizing that these movies can be made usually quite inexpensively, and they make okay. good money at the box office. So, so that's what we have here. Now, this film for me, really hits the mark. Awesome. As, Good. as a person of faith, I thought it worked really well. The other thing it does very well is I think it will appeal to a broad spectrum of of religious groups. I, I, it really has that feel that goes back to, well, I'd like to compare it to Ben-Hur because mm. we have a protagonist who is briefly mentioned in about six words in the Bible, but they really expand upon that character. And it's through his eyes that we see the story, in this case, of, of uh, it opens with the crucifixion, but it's really all about the resurrection. Awesome. And so it really is uh, – Terry was joking, say it's kind of like a mix of CSI Easter. 
it's so it's it's kind of a it's I guess there's the intrigue because this is a Roman mm-hmm. soldier's view of the resurrection. Yeah, it is. It is, and it is a little bit CSI because this Roman soldier he is under the gun from his boss, who, and uh, who is saying I, we need to find the body. We need to find the body. We need to demonstrate that this guy is dead once and for all, huh. so that these religious lunatics will settle down, and then you know the the big the the emperor's coming from Rome for a visit, and they want to have all this settled before he gets there. And so, really, this guy who's played by Joseph Fiennes, he he is out to try and provide evidence that he really the, that the crucifixion oh, did take man. place, That's and great. that he really is dead. And I mean, it's I know it's taken off on some of the other sources. Rotten Tomatoes ranks it really high. Mm-hmm. What what did you what did you like most? What what are the watchouts if there are any? The the major watchout, especially the first ten to fifteen minutes of this movie. There's a lot of violence in this film, uh, you, where we have attacks going on and battles happening and that type of thing with the Roman soldiers uh, pushing in against the Christians and whatnot. And uh, yeah, there's there's some serious violence going on in the first ten to 15 minutes. Now, you know, the, the high watermark of violent Christian films, of course, is Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. Right. And compared to that, no, don't worry Nothing about it. Like you know, that. so this is a PG-13 movie. That one was rated R. But there's this trade-off that happens with the MPAA with movie ratings. And if you don't have any profanities in your film and you don't have any sex in your film, you can get a lot more violence wedged in there. And so, <laughs> so parents, be warned on that. Once you're through that first, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, it settles us down quite a bit more. There is a crucifixion scene. In my opinion, it was not overdone, mm. but you feel it. You really do, That's... but they don't dwell in it yeah. like Mel Gibson did in his film because, as I mentioned, this movie's all about the resurrection, and that's wonderful yeah. to see that depicted. No, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is a family movie. Uh, Minus the violence. 12 and over, yeah, I would say. I'd be a little careful with younger children on this one because, yeah, I mean, everybody's child mm-hmm. is different. But, yeah, just know that going into it. Interesting. It has it has a very nice feel, Matt. I, you, you feel you feel spiritually uplifted after this film, which is it, which is a nice bonus. Now, on your site, parentpreviews.com, do you have dialogue or discussions you can – take off of the movie on this one? Yes. And once we have our review up, I'm traveling right now. I'm on the road. You're on vacation. Willie Nelson would say yes. And so, yeah, we don't, we're going to be writing this one up real quick here soon and we should have it up probably later today. Where are you, where are you going? Why are you traveling? Why am I traveling? Why would you not just stay up in Canada? Oh, sorry. I'm speaking Canadian. It was 90 degrees. On the beach in L.A. on Monday oh, and Tuesday. It was wonderful. That's right. Had a great time. Yeah, but yeah, you're now, are you heading back up yes, to Alberta? heading back up to Alberta, yeah. What's yeah. the temperature up there now? Uh, actually, we're having an incredible winter. It's been highs in the 50s. Wow. A lot, yeah. yeah it's a balmy 50. It's been warmer than here in Provo, Utah, yeah. Plus, we, you've probably we've got clearer you, air. Yeah, 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 that's right. Hey, I should mention yeah. one other movie on home what? video this week, and this one really got overlooked at the box office. The 33, this is a movie that's based on that true story about the Chilean miners. Oh, yeah. And it, speaking of faith-based movies, uh, this 
this one was not marketed particularly as a faith-based movie, but it's a wonderful depiction of faith. All of these people, most of these people, Catholics, and hmm. uh, their prayers and their working together who managed to save these 33 miners. And yeah, this is a true story. And the miners are in the mine. It shows the miners? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, oh, I, I really liked it. I don't know why this movie didn't do better. I think it's, it's a Hispanic film, and I think that those ones are still having a difficult time at the U.S. box office and finding where they fit. Interesting. Wonderful home Because that was a huge story. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm watching that on the news yeah, as we were waiting moving. for these miners to come up and whatnot. And, uh, and so you'd watch it with subtitles? Oh, oh it's in English. Oh, it's I was like, English, I was like yeah, 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 that's... There's a couple of sections where they where they speak Spanish, and I wish I could I wish I could understand Spanish, but that is subtitled. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah, awesome. Okay, yeah. so that's called the Thirty Three. Yes, and of course, Risen. Yes, those are your best picks of the week. Two well, that's a great choice, Rod. Thanks, and yeah. have a great trip. Well, thank you. Did you? You're all tan, I guess. Oh, yeah, I don't really tan. You know, I do. <laughs> you were wife, on the beach. My wife hates the sun, so we yeah. found this beach, this wonderful beach in L.A. that I really enjoy. Doom Beach is called. Oh. Not D-O-O-M, but yeah. D-U-M-E. And uh, Doom Point, I think it is, or something. There's this huge rock there, so you can sit in the shade. Romantic. And feed the squirrels, the beach squirrels, as we <laughs> call them. Yeah. Those weren't squirrels, Rod. <laughs> Good stuff, Rod. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. You bet. Uh, Again, go to parentpreviews.com, a great, great uh, resource for you and your family um, to to manage, you know, the movies and the media that come into your house. We'll take a break, come back and talk to our producers, uh, find out what's going on in their heads. This is going to be an intriguing discussion about uh, the importance and benefits of a sense of humor. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, in studio, we have two of our finest, Ben Wasden and Joseph Carson. I was going to make up a name. Anyway, um, we've got uh, two of our great producers in studio, folks, and it's it's a rare occurrence. What we like to do is bring the producers in, be enlightened by their brains, their insight, their uh, just their fun way of being, and um, as we said earlier... Those producers couldn't make it, so we've asked Ben and Joe to join us and talk about today. I think we're going to be talking about having a sense of humor. Terry al- already made that joke, by the way. I know, but it's funnier if you do it a second time. <laughs> Hello, Joe. Joe, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, Matt. You know, <laughs> it has been said that laughter is the shortest distance between two people and that a day without laughter is a day wasted. As we approach the end of February, it can be easy to let the midwinter slump set in. The purpose of our segment today is to lighten your mood and possibly save your life. Wow. Wow. That's very true. And so we're talking about kind of how we can understand the benefits of laughter and so we can apply it more in our lives. You know, there are a lot more benefits to laughing than you might think. Laughter actually lowers your risk of heart disease, huh. high blood pressure, and even excess belly fat. Ooh. Laughter also strengthens your immune system and helps your body fight off bacteria and viruses. Yeah. I can hear it fighting it off right now. It kind yeah. of sounds like nature. 
Yeah. What are you doing, Matt? What? I'm just so, listening to you guys talk about. So we're ha- we're kind laughing. of talking about the the benefits, like the physical benefits, because we know you're you're kind of you're kind of a pseudo doctor, and so you don't really know those those okay. benefits. Well, come again, come again, pseudo doctor. Uh, no, I'm a doctor, PhD doctor. Yeah, but Dr. you Matt you don't understand like how things affect the body. You you kind of make people feel better, but like we we wanted to let you know that oh. laughter actually has benefits for the body. Okay, okay. What were you guys going to ever like? Um, were you ever going to be funny? Like were we, were we actually going to were we going to use humor during your segment? You know, it's funny you should say that. Okay, are we about to do that? We are about to do that. It is happening. It's happening right now. <laughs> okay. Hey, hey, Dr. Matt. Yeah. Uh, have you ever heard of conjunctivitis.com? Yeah. Now there is a site for sore eyes. <laughs> okay. Was that Hillary Clinton right there? Yeah. So, uh. So that's a site for sore eyes. So like, like a like a website, uh-huh. but for your because yeah, it's con- conjunctivitis, right? Like right. Guy, yeah. yeah. Yep. So, uh, so two drums and a cymbal fall off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Badumts. <laughs> okay, I I got one that will make you laugh. It's okay. more of a story though, Matt. Oh, so. okay. 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 So, fun. it's a story about a man and his friend. So this man. He's he's kind of lonely, but he has this one friend that he he does everything in life with, and this this friend is actually a carrot. Okay, a, a carrot. And so they they do everything together. So a man and his carrot. Exactly. Okay. Um. They okay. they go to the movies together. They they watch the sunrise together. Sure. They go on long country rides together, and so this one time they're they're on the road. They're driving and. And this, they get in this horrible, horrible car accident. Ooh! And the medics, you, you can relate to this. You were, you I was were, a medic once. Yeah. And yeah. so the medics come in. They rush the carrots in critical condition. Ooh! And so they they rush him to the hospital, and and the man's allowed to ride along with them, but as he's waiting in the the waiting room, he's he's just panicked. He he doesn't know what he's going to do without his friend if he doesn't make it, and the doctor comes out and he says, "You know what, sir? I have." I have some good news and I have some bad news. What would you like first? Huh. Okay. And the man's like, you know what? I I can't take any more bad news today. Give me the good news. And the doctor says, you know, the the carrot's going to live. Okay, great. And yeah, that's great news. And so the man's like, you know what? That's that's awesome. I mm-hmm. can take any any bad news there is. And the doctor pauses and he says, you know what? He's he's going to be a vegetable for the rest <laughs> of his life. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> See, th- this is a problem that you don't have a sense of humor. Okay, I, 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 maybe I'll give it a shot. Yeah, that was a. By the way, that was that was a really long, long. How long, do you? Uh, how do you feel about uh, about pirate jokes? Oh, I can't get enough of them. Well, I was just telling Terry. Well, that's that pretty convenient because I've got four of them right here. Oh, okay. So, uh, <clears throat> pirate voices are those okay? Sure, 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 sure. If you if you, if you got it. What be a pirate's favorite letter? Um, I'm going to go with R. You may think it'd be R, but a pirate's first love be the sea. Wow. 
Why did the pirate's phone go beep, beep, beep? Um, a message, maybe? Because he left it off the hook. Arr. Okay. What did the elderly pirate captain say when he turned 80? Um, hey. Hi, matey. <coughs> All righty, last one. Did you hear about the pirate captain who purchased a lavish, beautiful, expensive ship? No, please tell me about it. Arr, it cost him an arm and a leg. Is that the last one? No, I'm done. I'm done. See, Matt, we're worried about you. You are incapable of finding humor in things. Oh, no, I'm seeing humor in, right in front of me. Yeah? It's just not in your jokes. Well, do you have any, any jokes for us to, to kind of help us reduce stress and um, increase our immune system? What, yeah, here's one. Uh, what do you call two producers on the Matt Townsend show? That come in and tell really bad jokes for 15 minutes. Brilliant. Nope. Oh. Unemployed. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've been fired every time we've done a segment together. That was hilarious. But we're still here. Okay, I I have one that will make you laugh. I mean, none of these jokes are funny. These are funny. It's a little bit on the edge, okay, Matt? uh, Are are you okay with that? Uh, Yeah, sure. So what's the hardest part of a vegetable to eat? What's the hardest part of a vegetable to eat? Um, I don't know. The wheelchair. <laughs> oh, come on! Now there you crossed a line. See, so that that's what we have to teach you. There's a line between funny and just just inappropriate. And that was the line. You know, I've got one that, that might lighten the mood. Uh Hold it's, on, is this a, is this different? Is this going to be funny? It, uh, Are I, any of these funny? It doesn't involve vegetables. Did you guys look up funny jokes? <laughs> okay. Okay, here we go. So a rough and tough cowboy finishes his meal at the saloon and gets up to leave. One minute later, he comes back in with a mean look in his eye and says, Now I'm going to sit down and have one more sandwich, and if my horse ain't back where I left it, I'm going to have to do what I done in Texas. And I really don't want to have to do what I'd done back in Texas. True to his word, he sits down, orders another sandwich, and sits in the silent saloon and finishes his meal. He then gets up and walks outside, and sure enough, his horse is back tied up where he left it. As he's just about to ride off, one of the other patrons timidly asks, Mister, what was it you had to do in Texas? The cowboy gets a far-off look in his eyes, and he says sadly, I had to walk. <laughs> was that that was that the last one? That was the punchline, yeah. We have some more if you want. No, you know you know what? You know what? Um No, you know what? I feel good. You feel good? I feel good. Healthier? I well, I feel good that we're done with that. So, because we have some more. No, you know what? In fact, you know what? Let's just it's just mosey on out of here. Really? Okay. You know what? Again, honestly, you guys, let me thank you from the bottom of my heart. This being your very last appearance on the show, let me just thank you for you being you. Thank Ben for his last day on the board. 
as he will now be terminated. Yeah. And I'm not joking. Like hunted by robots or no, 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 no. no. Um, so really, your point is, we laugh. It makes us feel better and healthier. Uh, it releases endorphins. It's all good. Um, and when when things aren't as funny, like you guys have demonstrated, like when people try too hard to be funny, it's still helpful because we we can still laugh at the people that try to be funny, even though they're not. Right. Was that your point? Yeah. And you know, there is one more uh, added benefit. Of laughter, and that's once you're done laughing, your uh, your body naturally feels more relaxed, and I, I feel pretty relaxed right now. Yeah, so do I. You look a little tense, though, Matt. I, I'm a little tense because I was kind of expecting like humor, uh, so I was a little surprised by the whole thing. But you know what? That's it's me. It's not you. It's me, and uh, probably I don't know thousands of other people. But anyway, thanks, guys. Um, again, Joe Carson, um, Ben Wasden. Thanks. Sweet. Sad day, folks. I think this is our cue out. We're going to take a break. I'm sorry. Again, sorry to disappoint. Sometimes things happen, you know, where you're not expecting such low quality. But we, we went through it together. Let's just look at it that way. We'll take a break. Come back. I'm sure we'll pick up the game on the other side of the break with our friends at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Clap along if you're happy. We're about to take a a little bus ride down to BYU Sports Nation. Visit our good buddies down there, Jerem and Spencer. Hello, gentlemen. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Clap, clap. Hey, um, we just did a segment on the show about the, the power of humor and funny. And uh, I had my producers do it, and they were neither, uh, they were neither humorous nor clever nor funny. And it kind of fell really hard. So I need you guys to pick it up, uh, pick your game up at a level you've never delivered it. Too much for me. (sighs) Bring us the funny. Please. Please say something hilarious. Hey, I got something for you. With it. With it. What's the deal? BYU beat beat San Diego last night. That's the bottom line. That's the deal. Yes. It seemed like a closer game than it maybe needed to be. That was, three, did, that was a three-point loss for BYU last year. Did they win? That's what we're looking for, the win? Listen, good. even even uh, the good teams, which I wouldn't say BYU is uh, you know, nationally is not a good team right now. They have the capability to be so, yeah. uh, be that. But uh, Gonzaga trailed by like 14 or 15 at San Francisco, ended up pulling that game out. Um, in the end... Who cares? Because they won. Now, if that's consistently an issue, that's a problem, which we'll address in BYU's uh, road games this year. They've struggled on the road, yet they've won the last three, which hasn't Mm. happened in the last five years. This is the first time in the WCC where BYU's played back-to-back-to-back road games and won all three. Wow. So this is a a big thing. Yeah. So to – yeah. What was it kind of – uh, an ugly game, a game where BYU struggled, BYU ultimately pulled out? Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you're not going to shoot the ball great every game. You're not going to out-rebound the other team every game. You're you can't do it best all. Every game. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. Is, so uh, BYU struggled, but won. 
That's the key. Yeah. That is the key. And sure. we can't, we've got to talk about the women. Oh, the women. They're outright, in. Outright, uh, outright regular season champs. Champs. Awesome. Man. They're, they're on a roll. They're killing 15 it. 15 in a row. It's, Jeff, it's Jeffrey Judkins. Yes. 15 yes. straight uh, wins. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, right there. Time out. <laughs> is that an imitation of Jeff my, Judkins calling Judkins. time yeah, out? Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. the best, dude. Don't you love his voice? Absolutely. The He's, Celtics drafted Larry Bird, and then the next round they drafted Jeff Judkins. Mm. Back in the dizzle. Back in the dizzle. Um, True story. I, I believe it. I totally believe it. Jeff Juddy Judkins grew up <gasps> kind of in my neighborhood. Okay. We all revered the Judster. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So did you go to Highland? In the NBA. I went to Highland High School. There you go. Okay. See that? Well, the Rams? A Highland Ram. Yes, I was. Nice. I had uh, growths out of the top of my head. Thus a ram. So the rumors were true. The, uh, he does have horns. <laughs> it's totally what a true. Weird idea. <laughs> hey, I you, still can't get over that one. Did you guys know it's International Tug of War Day? Of course we did. Which is, and I'm trying to start a tug of war uh, team. And I was thinking when I thought I want a team of tug of warriors, <laughs> I, I thought I thought of you two. I need you two on my team. We're there for you, we're bro. We're there. We're just not the anchors. No, we need an anchor. But it's not. It's not us. No, but I think the three of us could anchor. No, our producer Ben Bagley is the anchor. Ah, oh, Ben would be incredible, right? And Fortunately for Ben, he's less of an anchor. That's right. He's a, let's call him a shrinking a shrinking anchor. <laughs> he looks great. He, he looks, looks incredible. Great. And yes. but we also need His Jason. Anchorship is diminishing. <laughs> You're right. He looks fantastic. I don't want to talk about him. He's not even on the phone with us. But you could bring him in if you wanted. Um, but I'm thinking. I love talking about people. Behind ben that. on the anchor, on the then us, and then you got to get Jason Shepard. Yeah, Shep works out a lot because he's ripped. He reminds me of me a couple years ago. Yep. Before Shep be, hits the before gym, plantar never skips leg day. <laughs> <laughs> that stupid plantar ruined my plans. But I'm thinking we could probably not to brag dominate pretty much most of the campus. The athletic department might be a challenge, but I, I feel like we could take the math. I don't even think I was going to invite them. I think BYU football may, leave them out of them. may yeah. have a leg up on everybody. Yeah. Yeah. They got, they got legs. They got hamstrings. They got, yeah, arms up. They've got hammies, <laughs> hemi. They've Corsos. got plantars. They got it all. Cores. Um, core. They have a core up on everyone. Fuel your core. <laughs> now I'm done. Do you, do you guys do you guys work the core? Is that what you do? Do you guys? I hear Every that day, that's Matt. essential to work Every the core, day. like the Earth's core. Yeah. Do you guys know that I only have one ab? Did you know that it's one big ab? It's an ab, and it's on the left side. Big old ab. Oh, so you, so you have one, but the other five just aren't visible. I don't. I don't, I don't think they're existent. <laughs> I think God made my my abs just one big thick muscle. The one. jiggles. Big jiggly ab muscle. <laughs> That's so rude. That doesn't that doesn't sound right. It doesn't. Something <laughs> sounds weird. But I'm pretty sure I'm going to go on a walk today, and uh, I don't know what that'll do for my ab. But um, here's the deal, guys. I need to know if you're still doing your show. We are doing the show, and you're going to do it today. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the show today, what will you be discussing? Um, um, well, we might talk about that BYU basketball game. I would do that. Last night. Okay. Anything what else? What else are we talking about, Jerem? Uh, we're going to talk about Taysom Hill some more with Blaine mm-hmm. Fowler, uh, mm-hmm. his opinion on how BYU makes it work. If you missed the Ty Detmer interview, 
uh, from yesterday. Fantastic stuff, by the way. Um, they should go download, look it up if they missed it. You can download it. the show podcast yeah. on uh, iTunes and TuneIn app. It's also available uh, on our DVR function, boatv.org slash DVR. Mm. Uh, but great insight from him. So we'll talk to Blaine. And then, uh, as you mentioned, the women's hoops team, 15 in a row, WCC outright champs, number one seed in Vegas, coming up in uh, less than two weeks from now. Lexi Rydalch, the fourth leading scorer in the United States of America and Canada collegiately, will join us in studio. Wow. The second leading uh, scorer all-time BYU and the West Coast Conference all-time leading scorer. She gets buckets. Her yeah. profession, getting buckets. I love getting buckets. She'll probably be drafted in the WNBA this summer. Can she dunk it? I don't think so. I've seen her come out in most warm-ups when she first comes out and jump up and grab the rim. Really? Yeah. That no, is no trampoline. Like Pretty impressive of 5'10 to be able to do that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As a guy that is 5'10 and a half, not to brag. And can't uh, touch the rim? 5'10 and three quarters when I'm wearing my lifts. Um, I can't even touch the net. Yeah, that has, you're, yeah. I believe that. I mean, I can if they lower the hoop. <laughs> Naturally. They just don't do that very often. <laughs> Naturally. Yeah, that's sad. Can you guys, you, can you guys touch the rim? I can still touch the rim. On a good day, yeah. No, yeah. you can't. Jerem, you didn't even finish track. Didn't you quit young? Yeah, I quit track. I yeah. didn't quit cross country. Okay, sorry. No offense. How dare you? I'm sorry. Jerem with I that meant no offense. Allegation, man. <laughs> <laughs> the super athlete that I was. No, you guys are great. You're the best. <laughs> um, well, I have a feeling your show is going to be a home run, as always. It's a Friday, man. It's going to get a little bit weird. Friday always gets a little it's weird, a little, little fun, a little yeah. crazy, a mm-hmm. little, little dicey. little, yeah, a little, little ris- sketchy, a little risque. little fun. We're, we're a little informative. You know, little. Some little new inter- audio tracks out there to try and. We're going to try something different today. You're mixing yeah. it up. Yeah. We're throwing some new music in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys. We're going uh, to experiment with the BYU Sports Nation newsroom today. It's Bagley, man. It's Bagley. It's the bags. Bagley the, wants a break. It's the Bagley anchor. effect. The anchor. That's good. He doesn't need anchor. a break. He took three week, day, three weeks, three days off earlier this week. Yeah, did he? Two, what yeah. a guy! Oh yeah, I see him. I always see him just walking the halls, and he just looks like he's trying to get away from you guys. I would too. Anyway, I do too. Well, best of luck to you all and yours. Thank hey, you. Stay, stay sweet. Have thank a great you, Friday. Matthew. You know, keep, you're almost done. Keep the faith and the you're, peace. You're three minutes away. Okay, thank you. And um, you guys are only an hour away, an hour and three minutes, so mm-hmm. it's all good. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. Go, team. Go. Okay, bye. My, my uh, fellow tug-of-warriors, folks, we appreciate Spencer, Linton, Jerem, Jordan, and apparently Ben Bagley. I'll have to confirm that. Um, got, a great, uh, got, got a great show coming up so be listening to them at the top of the hour hey uh just before we go let me get into just my little uh, bad boys file here well let me tell you what you shouldn't do we like to we like to help everybody um not just the healthy people that aren't you know criminals but we also want to help the criminals be a better criminal for example if you are a man from virginia who D.C. police say burglarized a hotel, a restaurant, the front desk of an apartment building, and other Northwest Washington businesses. When you're arrested, here's the deal, folks. Police say that their investigation was helped when the man broke into an apartment building at 3 a.m. and signed on to his own Twitter account from a computer at the concierge desk. Right? So when you break into a hotel, do not sign in. 
using their computers to your Twitter account to check your Twitter feed. I think that's great analysis. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Authorities said they linked Thomas Matthew Coladell, 33, of Virginia, to several burglaries. Coladell has been charged with five counts of burglary and was ordered detained until a preliminary hearing in D.C. Superior Court. And if I might add, though I'm not a judge, but I am a doctor, they ought to take away his Twitter feed. Ha! That'll teach him. Also, police in Kilgore, Texas... Um, basically, a, a guy went in, applied for a job that led to his arrest in East Texas. 30-year-old uh, Courtney Cordell – boy, it sounds familiar like the other guy. Courtney Cordell Wheat was arrested in Longview, Texas after filling out a job application at a restaurant. Then he allegedly stole a car from the parking lot. Just a little advice for you bad boys. When you are going to steal something or actually go look for a job, you know, a legitimate job – don't then use the place where you were just interviewed as a as a place to choose your next crime. Mix it up. Mix it up. The least you could do is walk next door, steal a car from the next business down. Yeah, that's a healthy thing to do. Again, we do not recommend stealing cars, but again, to just lend a hand to the criminal that doesn't quite understand that you don't do it that way. Uh, listen to this. According to police, that's exactly what we did. The, uh, he went to the Taco Bueno which if I'm translating means good taco in Kilgore, Texas. The lady was like, he just put in an application. And I was like, are you serious? Said Brandon Jones, the car owner. After getting Wheat's identity from the job application, Kilgore police notified area law enforcement to be on the lookout for the car. Longview police found Wheat at a local motel. Probably on his Twitter feed, if he's the same guy. But we don't know if he is. Um, anyway, we also like to end the show on a hero story to show that there is really a lot of good going on in the world. Our uh, hero story comes from Utah, southern Utah, Hurricane, spelled hurricane, but uh, being from Utah, I know they pronounce it Hurricane High School. Two uh, young men are being praised as, as lifesavers. According to Coach Ryan Christiansen, Alan Madsen and Devin English helped him perform CPR on a man experiencing a heart attack at the Comfort Inn. Um, where he and Tiger wrestlers were staying ahead of a wrestling tournament. He said, we were in our rooms. We heard a lady yelling for help. Christiansen said, we ran out the door but didn't know what to expect. The boys were brave. They ran in ready to do what was needed. They found a man, later identified as Kent Moser of Preston, Idaho, sitting in a chair having difficulty breathing. He said, I ran in and instantly felt for a pulse. Madsen said, we put the man on the floor and did CPR on him for seven or eight minutes. Madsen called 911. Eventually, medical personnel came and took over, and uh, this uh, the the patient was taken to Utah Valley Regional Medical Center and will eventually be able to return to his Idaho home. They saved the man's life. A coach and two of her wrestlers, two of his wrestlers, just happened to be there, and they happened to step in, folks. That's all a hero is. You're a person in the right place at the right time, willing to do what you need to do, and we all need that, right? So. Over this uh, weekend, take care of each other. Look out for those in need, and let's cover each other's backs until until Monday uh, when we talk again. Thanks for being with us. Come back Monday. We'll listen and talk again. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Have a great weekend.